What's up my fellow poker enthusiasts, it's Renee aka The Wacko here and together with my co-host Adam Carmichael we present to you the Mechanics of Poker podcast. In this podcast we deconstruct high stakes poker players figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they had to develop to surpass them. Over the years, me and Adam have gained a lot of experience in both reaching high stakes poker ourselves and teaching other players to do the same. We have bundled all this knowledge together in our coaching program, The Mechanics of Poker, which is the most complete poker coaching product on the market. If you want to have a chance to work with me and Adam so you can get unstuck and make more progress in your poker career, go over to mechanicsofpoker.com to apply. But without further ado, let's learn from another high stakes player's journey in today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Mechanics of Poker podcast. Today in our pod, we have another very fast riser. To my knowledge, the fastest riser we have had on so far. He plays in the high stakes scene, cash games, very impressive. It took 24-year-old Owen Masur only two years to establish himself at 2550 while playing both Heads Up and Six Max Cash games. That's very impressive. You might have recently heard of him as he took on the 100k Heads Up Challenge against Doc Polk, where he ended up a slight winner over the course of two matches. Adam, balancing two game types, one is already hard enough, let alone two. Yeah, it's impressive at his young age to have success in two formats. And I always think these young fast risers, there's a lot to learn from. They have a lot of confidence. They approach poker in a different way. They fast tracked their learning curve to be able to uh, learn the game at an impressive speed. So yeah, really excited to see what we can learn from Owen on his rise to the top. Yeah, me too. I'm sure there will be a lot of knowledge again in this podcast. But before we get into it, I would like to give a big shout out to our sponsor, GTO Wizard. So sign up to gtowizard.com using the link below, gtowizard.com slash mechanics to get 10% off your first month and join the weekly coaching webinars of which one every month is with me. Looking forward to educating you guys there. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. There he is, Owen. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Oh, and I've seen you on the high stakes cash game streets. And more recently, I saw you on YouTube taking on Doc Polk in his 100k heads up challenge. Two obvious questions kind of follow. How did it go? That's obviously what everyone wants to know who didn't follow it. And what led you to take on the challenge? Um, so in terms of how it went, uh, well, I mean, obviously in the immediate aftermath, it kind of felt felt pretty shit like the day after because I was up so much and then finished sort of close to break even like up like about half a buy-in or something in the end um but then also like you know I ran insanely well the first day I was kind of doing some run bad in the second day um so I thought that was like kind of fair and once uh once I had a bit of distance from it I was just like really happy with the whole experience I had a great time like um yeah Doug Doug's like uh great fun like it's not just a on-camera thing i mean like we were playing some like plo and some like i think it was like a one free game afterwards uh <laughs> it was uh yeah funny going over to that from 200 400 and uh yeah like meeting some of the guys down there like it, it was uh it was all a great time 
Uh, like, a bit disappointed with how I played on the second day. Uh, like, du during the first day, I was I was really happy with the whole thing. Um, I remember, like, I was talking to Doug afterwards, uh, and um, I was talking about how it's often kind of a shame that, like, you know, all of the, like, all of the top players sort of battle behind closed doors. I mean, especially now that it's all on ACR, it's harder to rail than it was when it used to be on Stars back in the day. Um, and so he was saying that he kind of thought of this as like that sort of like highlight of, uh, you know, of like premium, like top tier poker content, like whole card, like whole cards up. And, and yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking in the aftermath, this was like, like this was the exact kind of stream, which if I wasn't being a part of it, I would have absolutely loved to watch it. Like it was like, we were really going for it. I thought like the aggression from both of us was really high. Like we weren't handing any pots to each other. Um, we were slipping in bits of strap talk just because you know you get into that uh, you, you get into that rhythm. Um, and so yeah, I I, I thought it was uh, yeah I, I I was really happy with everything. So. Did you have any prior experience to playing live? Obviously, this was a live challenge. You also mentioned yeah, obviously variance is going to be play a big part. I don't know how many hands you ended up playing, but it's probably not going to be a lot. So, did you feel yeah. comfortable in the live setting, and also in terms of the setting of the fact that people can see your whole cards, you get a lot of exposure? Yeah, I think um, honestly, the worst thing about live is having to keep mentally calculating the pot. Um, <laughs> like that, that was the thing which that was the thing which drove me nuts. I think it was kind of relaxing, especially playing Doug, because I just know that unless he's unless he's been living a lie for so long at this point that it would almost be impressive like he's not the guy who's using live towels or like timing towels or stuff like that so it was kind of it was like nice that i wasn't paranoid about that sort of stuff obviously i was trying to be you know consistent with the stuff and not just give stuff away just for the sake of it but it was uh it was nice not to have like that in the back of my head um driving me insane and that i could just focus on uh, focus on the poker because I have I have very little experience live. Like I've played some live tournaments and like done terribly and done terribly in them for the most part. Um, like some live cash, but like very little, very little experience. So this was yeah, this was one of the one of the first times really playing properly live. So it's quite interesting when you're the one handing out these challenges because I don't know how, if and if so how you prepared for a match, but I can imagine that you've probably watched the previous matches. Be that, that he played so I think if you're in dog shoes or in general the challenger then usually before or same with for example with Galfond right they also does like these heads up challenges I assume that players going into a challenge they must have analyzed the previous challenges to get kind of an idea of they can pick up yeah. on something like I, I I have a spreadsheet on my laptop of like like every single mistake I, I expected him to make and it's like very extensive um, so <laughs> obviously I come in with an advantage in that sense, but also the thing is about playing uh, like him specifically, he's a very theory oriented player. Um, so like whilst he has consistent mistakes in his game, uh, he's also like, like he's not getting super wildly out of line. So like the maximum sort of the maximum amount that you can own him for by having a good read in the spot is quite small compared to some other players so i think like he's sort of well suited to um to being able to do that like there are other players who who i think would have a harder time like continuing to face opposition 
Uh, yeah, so the, 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 the bigger deviations you make, the bigger holes you think you have in your game, or the further you play from theory, the more you become exploitable, I guess. That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And like he he's like incredibly open about like things he's not doing. Um like like he you know, he just says stuff like, Oh, like I think people who try to play raises here, uh like you know, it's just unnecessary. It's just not a part of my game. And like, he just like freely admits that. And he's like comfortable knowing that you have that information. And he just, he just has like the confidence in his strategy that it's gonna play well enough anyway. And with anything, with everything he says, your mind automatically goes into the solver note lock. Like, okay, wait, you don't have reason. <laughs> this, this, this will be the consequence of my strategy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also like, it, it it was weird because uh, especially as we got deeper into the match i was like i was waiting for the adjustment in some spots because i was just like okay I, I you know i was aware of when i'd had illegal showdowns or perhaps spots where like you know like i tanked for ages with a hand which should just be like should just be folding and like even if i did eventually fold like i was like okay maybe this gives away that i was thinking about something maybe he's going to change it up but he didn't really seem to adjust that much, which sounds like weird considering he smashed me on the second day and like, you know, I did really well on the first, but it was like, I think he was like mostly playing in, yeah, he, he wasn't, he wasn't really like getting into that leveling game at all. And I think I was just like wasting energy on it, um, to be honest, like trying to, trying to anticipate that stuff. I'm curious, maybe in the future we will uh, try to get Doug on and ask uh, what, what, how he sees it like from the opposite point of view like yeah, i said yeah. basically putting yourself out there making yourself available to play against and the likely preparation people will do before getting into a match like that yeah. i don't know maybe he also said well owen let's talk about owen i've seen all his online hands <laughs> you <laughs> never know you never know I, maybe mean, also I, I, streamed a bit the, I streamed a bit the day before me playing daryl and he he like popped into the, this stream where it's like i have like i don't know 50 viewers or something and then like he like he popped in and one of my was just like oh doug's watching your stream i was like oh shit don't give too much away like <laughs> yeah um yeah I, I mean also just from talking to him about it because because i um i sort of joked to him afterwards because uh, like he was saying i'm welcome to come back again at some point if i'm like in america and i was like oh yeah sure that because yeah i had a great time it'd be fun um like I, I was joking that the um the goal was to play well enough that he wouldn't invite me back um but he he was just saying like it, it's it's not much of an open challenge if you're if you're like excluding anyone and he just he just enjoys the competition yeah uh, like he, he, he doesn't he care also with the amount sport. of hands that you play how much how much an ev bb per hundred can you actually lose yeah 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 exactly like um and it probably makes I up for like the fact what, that it's his own brand and uh, yeah. Yeah. It's very hard for him to do this minus. He, he also gets um he like gets a rebate from it stirring up action, you know. Like for every time like for every time there's a match where um like you know, I go play him or like, you know, K Rab goes and plays him. Uh like having said that, I think he outplayed K Rab from what I watched the match. But uh but like, you know, some someone else like gets in the mood, like sees what's going on, goes, Ah oh, yeah, yeah, I could I could play there like who's who's like not a heads up specialist. Um, yeah. This was uh, heads up. You play both six max and heads up. And I wanted to quote something that you mentioned in in the in the questionnaire. 
He said, anytime someone quits me, heads up, I almost feel high. What is it about, like, specifically <laughs> yeah, heads up yeah. that gives you that type of thrill? Yeah, I think it's like, um, it's like the, because heads up, it's so, it's so clearly just like you versus this other person. And like, you're just like, you're sat there pitted against each other in, in a fight, like trying to, trying to outthink each other. And there's both, there's both this competition of like, okay, whose base strategy is winning before the adjustments and then like the race to out adjust each other. Like how can I pick up on what he's doing wrong before he picks up on what I'm doing wrong. And then there can be, there's often this feeling of like, you know, once you get the hang of someone that you're just running circles around them and like, they're constantly in spots where they're experiencing pain. Like they're always in the tank um they they don't really know what's going on whereas like to you you're like in in this like flow state and like playing really fast and i think you know when that moment comes and they just decide it's done um and then like yeah the realization that someone's are oh, like this person was this person thought like they thought there was ev in playing me and now they've just decided uh now they've just decided that this is like too expensive to to keep trying to find out um yeah it just feels i don't know it's like a <laughs> like a huge ego boost um I think it's sort of like yeah, it ties it. One of the reasons that I got into poker was um, was because uh, like basically I, w I, w I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in my life and like but I wanted to do something where I could like really like push myself and see like you know I, I, I was like I knew I was a smart guy but I was like you know I, I want to like actually know how smart I am do you know what I mean rather than just sit there and go like you know and I was just like well this is like a fairly uh this is like a fairly like objective measure of that um and uh, and also like no one gets a head start on you you know like I, I pissed about when I was a teenager didn't work on exams and I was like you know I'm, I'm in this I'm in this field where it's just like oh I'm not up against I'm not up against some uh, <laughs> some prodigy since they were 10 years old you know I get to <laughs> yeah get so basically the win only counts if you're up against fair competition basically and yeah, the fairer yeah, the competition yeah. gets the more I would say satisfying the but, but, so basically if you if you if you feel a high if someone quits how do you feel then if you quit or you just oh, don't I don't quit, quit. Okay, <laughs> that's a way to avoid the feeling if you just never quit. Like there are, there are people who I go into it with the attitude of like, like there are people who I play who I know I'm losing to, um, uh, and it's just like I just I'm just interested. Like like um, like yeah, I like if if Linus would play five k, I'd play him for a bit. But like I'm not I'm I'm not gonna play some huge match. But like once I'm once I'm committed to playing someone, I mean, I say this, I haven't, I haven't been playing for that long, but like, there's like, I think there's like no one who I'm turning down action from at the moment. Like, I just want to play. I just want to play everyone. It helps as well that I'm like running like really well out the gate. So like <laughs> that gives you the confidence to, to just go and, uh, to just go and like sit basically everyone. I said, uh, yeah, yeah. I say this. Well, yeah, I, I, I I mean, I, I basically, yeah, if, if anyone wants to play 5k, I can't, I'm down to play. Like if someone wants some match at like 40k, obviously it's a different thing. I have to, <laughs> I have to be pretty confident that I'm winning that. But like just to, you know, play at the stake, which I'm playing like day to day. And like, you know, like you were saying with the dog match, if, if I'm playing for, if we've not playing like a huge amount of hands, like how much EV am I really losing by like competing against this person? But yeah, like so far, there's been no one I quit. Like I temporarily quit Daryl when I first played him because he ran such circles around me that I was completely lost. 
uh, <laughs> but now I'm like now I'm like tentatively like okay yeah yeah let's 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 play Daryl some more like I'm running well enough against everyone else that if he smacks me for a bind or two you know we can <laughs> we can, we can get it back. What what do you mean with uh, run circles? Oh, it was like it was just there were there were spots where I was um, so used to. Like, like I, I had, I had sort of like this assumptions about how people were going to think about them, um, and like there were lines which I just wasn't used to seeing. Uh, it was like, you know, you kind of know this line exists, but you sort of like discount it in your thought process a bit. Um, like I was getting like five bet on the river, um, by him, and like actually not knowing what to do. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't some spot where it's just like, oh well. You know, <laughs> obviously he fucking has it at this point. No, it was like like I I was actually just sitting there like, like he you know he could have bluffs here and like yeah he was just playing at like a very consistently high aggression level and I wasn't that you know I wasn't that comfortable dealing with it because I hadn't played anyone, um like I I played some spewy people but like he had like control to his aggression and it was um yeah and 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 I was just like I was just like so aware of how out of my depth I was. Uh, like instantly so I was just like so it w- it was like unsatisfying it was unsatisfying to play you know if someone's beating me if someone's beating you by a little bit then to me that feels very motivating to try and close that gap you know like like if I'm losing at 5 bb to someone then it's just like okay yeah but like I I don't feel like I've peaked as a player uh so 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 to me that's that's like okay well we can get it to even and then if I can get it to even I can get it to beating them um, but like there, I was just like, I didn't even know how much I was losing, but I, I just felt, I just felt completely lost. We, yeah, I was going to say, really, it, really it feels a bit like the sense of where you, that, that you don't know kind of where you're at, right? With, okay, there's a, yeah. a bunch of these things going on. I'm not really sure where I'm at. At least if you know that you're minus five, you know, you know where, where I'm <laughs> zero. But if you're like, I have no clue if this, if I'm minus yeah. 10, minus five, mi- plus five, I have no clue. When, when I, of, well, no, when I first played him, like minus five was like the upper bound. <laughs> of what I felt I was losing at. Um, it was funny as well because like someone else who like uh had they sharked me at every single time I'd moved up stakes, right? So I'd like uh I'd played this guy uh at like when I first played 500 NL, like because because I, I would I'd always battle, like I'd sit on the tables to heads up, like I I wouldn't quit. Uh, and like I'd lost so much to this guy total. I think I'm down the most in big blinds to this guy by anyone else by a mile. And then, like, he quits me without barely, like, didn't even lose any of it back. He just goes, ah, nah, nah. Like, he says something about, like, he's mixing, uh, you know, he doesn't want to mix heads up in six max. Like, okay, fair enough. But, like, he doesn't want to play. Um, and then but, <laughs> and then he messages Daryl and goes, oh, by the way, like, well, he puts us in some group chat and goes, oh, by the way, like, this this Owen guy, uh, like, he basically plays anyone, by the way. I'll leave you two to it. And <laughs> I felt like <laughs> I was just, like, I was just aware of, like, I was aware of what's going on, but I was just like, I was too curious to see what the gap was. I was like, I need, I need to go, you know, I need to go play. And now I feel like, now I feel like it's like, okay, like, you know, there's, there's a pretty decent chance he's still like, he's still winning, but it's also, it's like, you know, um, but it, but it, it feels like a fight now, you know, so which, it, which is more satisfying to me because then I can go away from it and like, I, I can look and review things and, and see if I can come back the next session better and feel feel confident about it. This is very much against, I would say, over the years, it's become way more common for people to have very high on the list that they have to look for 
and only playing games where they have an edge. You clearly have a different attitude knowing that you have minus five BB win rate, you're still willing to go in. So what is it about, what is, what is the, what is in it for you? Is it purely <laughs> the challenge? Um, you know, you know, like that story that everyone tells about Linus where he'd quit if the fish came. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I've experienced uh, it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. George, what the fuck George, is this guy doing? George Frogger, um, like you mad bro, t- told me that story years ago when I was pl- first playing 500 now. He was telling me I need to get better game selection, and I was actually just inspired by. It. I was just like, yeah, that's the kind of player I want to be. I want. <laughs> I was like, um, but I, I also think it's kind of just in my nature, like, um, because back when I was. Like the reason I learned heads up was sort of by accident. Like it was back November time. Uh, I was, I'd been on like a huge downswing for like the past year. Um, I was sort of like starting to come out of it. Uh, and I was thinking about what is it that gets me playing my best possible poker? Because um, I think like Yuri talked about this when he was on the podcast and he feels like so he has like a plus 15 BB winner and like a minus 10 BB loser within him and I feel like that's kind of how I play as well and I was thinking well what gets me to playing to playing in that state of mind where like I feel invincible and it's just and it's like not thinking about all that background stuff it's just like I'm just here to like play and like beat who you put in front of me so I just had this sort of I just had this mentality of like I was just gonna I was just gonna play anyone that came and like not worry about fish games I was just like reg battling all night um and it would be like free-handed and then sometimes you'd go to heads up and i was just like okay well i'm not gonna quit just because it's heads up and i started playing it and i was just like really really enjoying it um i was just playing like kind of for fun at first just for battling and then it's like you know you get into enough spots that you're curious about run some sims and then like sort of backs and it's like oh i'm kind of studying this format now uh and then like it was interesting enough that i was just um yeah i mean i'm still like i'm still like playing more in terms of six max because obviously like heads up is like it's a bit inconsistent whereas six months you can get action all the time but it's like in terms of what is most fun uh most fun to me like i was immediately just like oh yeah this really this really gets me feeling like passionate about the game to to go out and battle with people i wanted to touch on another thing that you mentioned you mentioned that that you think that the sport aspect of poker is often overshadowed by the gambling side of it which may be a lever so that's kind of like an indirect shot at Hustler Casino. But like, I, I don't like, it's not like I have a problem with that stuff existing, but it's like, um, well, it's like you, you compare it to chess, right? You know, for like, if, if you look at chess coverage, you don't have coverage of like, oh, two billionaires playing, two billionaires are playing like, the winner gets 100k every every match uh, like every game and like they play like a 10 game match or whatever like like that doesn't you know you don't see that in chess you 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 see it's like the top guys versus you know versus the other top guys and it's appreciation of you know it's appreciation of how beautiful the game can be when played at such a high level um and i mean obviously it's the nature of poker because like the money has to has to come from somewhere and also like top players uh, like of course like kind of secretive about their strategies so it's like no one wants to be the guy who's volunteering you know all of this stuff like like I was kind of tempted to do some streaming because you know I, I feel like I would enjoy that aspect of it but it's also like if I just play with my whole cards revealed 
all the time in like a small pool of like high stakes players even if it's not like heads up if i'm just playing six makes with every single like whole cards revealed it's like like people these these are really smart guys who are going to use that information and um so yeah yeah so 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 like i understand why it is that way but i i think i think it's a real shame because i think there's there's like so many interesting things happening in poker and i think like I think I think like people well, well I know that people would find it so interesting but it's, it's kind of a shame that that's that sort of side of it is, is is hidden and it's like you know the only thing we can celebrate is sort of like the big pots and like the emotions of people going on these massive swings yeah I think it's also I mean the content that's being put out there is mainly constructed in a way that the mass audience consumes it right what the mass audience likes is what we start to produce like Hasse Casino apparently produces a format yeah. that the mass audience like I think for example the format that you did with Dog is way closer to a chess format where it's basically mm. yeah, yeah. you're watching and you're interested in high level strategy and a certain amount of intelligence but I would I haven't, I haven't checked the numbers, but I would imagine that, I don't know, Max Payne, 1 million buy-in hustler event probably attracts <laughs> way, a way bigger audience, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, obviously it's like, yeah, it, it's like you can't force people to like something. But I just think it's a shame that, like, they're clearly, you know, there there are YouTube channels out there which are, like, trying to cover strategy content. But it's like often the guys who are doing it are not, super high level guys you know like where whereas bang bang whereas, <laughs> it's like well it's just like i mean who like who's giving away their strap for free who plays like high stakes online like i i i mean like doug, well i i mean like doug has like you know doug gave like had like the upswing stuff even when he was still like playing regularly but i think like that was kind of the exception um like there are some like I don't know. There's like one KNL guys and stuff, but like you don't you don't have in the same way where like you know chess on some day like even if Magnus isn't streaming, there's like multiple GMs like streaming, like talking, like being instructive, uh, and it's really cool to see how they think. Whereas like <laughs> you don't you don't have a you don't get to go onto Twitch and then see like Stefan talking about how he's piecing everyone up and like you know these insane lines he's running. You sort of just get to see the line and then it's just like you know was this good and it's like oh i guess it was because it was stefan but i you know like like i feel like like i, I mean for as someone who's like looked at so many of his hands they definitely like even if you're really good at poker they're like kind of inaccessible like you have to spend time on them whereas and it would be really cool to hear people talk about that but obviously you know i see why they can't it's just a shame that that's like that's the way the game works yeah if i talk from experience let's say for example you stream or you make a video Let's say you can play a hand and I feel like it's mainly in the way you explain it that could get kind of the aha across to the other person. So let's say yeah, I make yeah. I make a video for YouTube. I might explain it. I might play the hand exactly the same. I'll show how I play the hand. But how I would explain the hand, I might keep some information aside or I will use a different argument that's less valuable than if I would be doing it in a in a coaching session for yeah, example yeah. or when i talk with other guys who i do strategy with i will explain it in a way different way that's like oh actually this makes a lot of sense yeah yeah and of course it's just like you kind of like this this information has has like so much ev and it's like it's like not even just within the one person adjusting right like there, there's like this whole audience like there are some streamers who i watched back when i was playing like uh you know like back when i was playing like 500 ml or whatever uh and it was like 
it, it was also telling what they wouldn't notice you know like sometimes you could you could get like a really detailed picture of someone's leaks just by the things the things that they missed uh and so then it's kind of like well yeah like most of the people who stream are, um have something to to promote or like they're playing mid stakes and it doesn't mean like they're terrible players but it um you know like especially if you're if you're like playing 25 an hour and like there's a 500 zoom streamer like there's clearly some uh there's clearly like some usefulness in that but it's just like seeing the guys like at the absolute top where like they're playing like you know what the fuck hands like multiple times a session uh and it'd be it would be amazing to hear about the dynamics which went into all these like adjustments and counter adjustments but you kind of just have to like guess at it if you're um, if you're a viewer yeah when you're i think also when you're playing and putting your content out there either streaming or recording I mean, when you make an adjustment or counter adjustment, you can always just say that the dice told you to do it. So if you, yeah, yeah, if you yeah. message as you stream, I can tell you from experience, if you want to do something always or never, you just say, oh, the dice, the dice, <laughs> the dice rolled this way or the dice rolled that way. Or you, you, you can make a lot of, you can make up uh, a lot of excuses. You mentioned chess briefly as well. I believe you have a history in chess as well, pre-poker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was younger, I, played for the uh, England junior team, um, which is kind of fun. I mean, like, yeah, we got a trip to Disneyland out of it. Um, <laughs> which highlight highlight of the chess career trip to Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, yeah. Um, I mean, there was a, there were probably some good wins in there, but that's the bit which sticks out in my mind. <laughs> but yeah, that was when I was like, uh, like I was playing like international tournaments from like 11 to 14 years old. And then I, then I, then I retired. Uh, <laughs> I decided I was, uh, I was kind of sick of it. I think I was just like, um, cause like, like the word always learned, I, I like learned by playing. Um, I just played, like I played tons and, uh, didn't really do much theory work. Um, and then, but like that only takes you so far, right? Um, there is a point where you need to sit there with the engine and, and work out exactly what's going wrong with your games. Um, but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't very, really interested in that. And then it's like, okay, well, people are starting to leave me behind. And like, if I couldn't, like, if I could, if I couldn't compete, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I needed to, you know, it wasn't like I needed to be like being everyone all the time. Like I wasn't like, I definitely wasn't like the top guy in England or anything. Uh, but it was like, you know, if you can't, it, like these people who used to be able to like give a good game and like take a game off them occasionally. And it's just like, oh, they're just like completely outplaying me and I don't want to put in the work to stay in touch with them. Um, so, yeah, but, like that, <laughs> that was one of the things which got me like motivated later on to, to pursue, uh, to, to pursue poker was because I didn't want to like look back on that and go, ah, oh, like. I could have been a grandmaster if I put in the effort, you know, like, like, it's like, like the, the classic, like talking about potential as if it, uh, as if it's achievement. Um, and so that was something which I really wanted to, um, but the, like, I, I, yeah, I really didn't want to have like hanging over me because it wasn't like I regretted like giving up on chess specifically, but I didn't want, I didn't want to just end up doing something that wasn't entirely satisfying and just like have a bunch of excuses to anyone that would listen. I'd rather just go out there and like do something and, um, you know, and like, like just prove it, uh, prove it to myself like that. 
you actually mentioned also like if you want to get better in in chess you know you have to sit down with the engine i don't know much about chess but i was looking at some matches and i would heard some commentators and they were indeed also consulting the solver see what the solver is doing actually yeah, also yeah. maybe that's something also for uh that they can add in like live streams that we can put up the solver and say oh, actually the solver doesn't really agree with this just like they may be doing chess maybe that way we can make it yeah, yeah. a bit more intellectually stimulating i guess what similarities do you see in chess that come back in poker that maybe gave you a little bit of a head start when you got into poker um so i would say like like what like the main similarity is um you uh you have to take sort of um you you have to take something which is like very specific when you look at a chess engine where it will tell you just the right move and like poker will tell you the right frequency and then you have to turn that into something abstract which you can apply to like not just this position or this hand but something which you can actually like add to your game as a whole um and so like you know adding yeah like like the development of your of heuristics um i'd say like the the main the main difference though is that like chess has this uh this continuity that poker doesn't like like chess is like building to a crescendo in a sense of like it's like you're applying pressure um you know you're you're applying pressure over 30 moves or something to try and make someone crack whereas like poker is like uh poker's like death by a thousand cuts um which is yeah that's how they end up differing adam you into chess or ever been into chess I was when I was younger. I've got an older brother, and my dad was quite competitive with chess, but definitely wasn't representing my country at chess. <laughs> and I did find the strategic kind of heads up dynamic, like Owen's been describing, there's something primal about playing another person, whether it's chess mm. or heads up poker, one on one. When it's like your strategy against their strategy, either I win, you lose, or vice versa. And there's something very rewarding about out maneuvering someone, whether it's on the chess boards or in a heads up, heads up dynamic, which is quite intense, but also very rewarding, and especially from the ego point of view to uh, outthink somebody, outsmart someone and create a winning strategy against them, creates, creates this good feeling. So I can definitely relate to uh, one's high that it gets from getting opponents to quit. That was definitely some of my high moments where when someone quit after a long battle, I was like, yes, that's a, that's a great day. <laughs> Do you um, think it's also like a certain necessity increase when you play heads up? So let's say, for example, you play a ring game. Usually what can happen is you, you might play against, there's a guy at the table or two guys that you think are better than you. There's two other guys who you think you're better at. And there's the recreation where you can get the money from. So you could be like, okay, well, I'm mainly going to focus on the recreational. That's where the main money comes from. But if you play heads up, let's say it's just me versus Owen. I mean, if I want to make this a win, there's only one, one opponent where I can take the money from. So I think it maybe also raises a certain amount of necessity that, that you actually have to think like, okay, well, if I have to get the money from Owen, I have to now really sit down and see how I'm going to figure this out. So I think maybe the nature of heads up also steers your brain in a certain direction. It's like, listen, this is the way you have to get through this. So you get stimulating. Whereas maybe in a six max, you're like, oh, well, you know, I'll take the money from the recreational or, oh, actually, oh, wait, there's a better game there. So I'll just quit this table and add and add this table because the money is easier. Does that make sense? Can can any yeah, any of you two yeah, relate? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like like six max. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times um, people tried to talk me into like playing Taito when like Stefan freebet me or something, 
And they were just like, you're like, like if we were like looking over hands, and they're just like, I know you're not going to take this advice, but like this hand is like a zero EV mix. You don't have to play it. Like you can just stay out of his way. Like <laughs> it's, this is, this is six max mentality right yeah. there. I'm like, listen, uh, you know, you have the table. There's money there, money there, and you kind of you kind of have to maneuver through the table to get the highest EV spots. It's really a six max yeah. mentality, not a heads up mentality. Yeah, but um, but like yeah, those those this amazing thing Clicker said to me when uh, I was talking to him afterwards about the Doug match um and it's like how was it it was uh says something like uh heads up there's nowhere to hide um you can you can lock uh, lock lock your doors lock your windows i'll come in i'll come in for your floorboards <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah so i just have this like image of like uh i don't know if you've seen like uh, like the, there's like an article of like clicker when he went to the wsop and he's wearing like a cowboy hat or something mm -hmm. uh, and i just have an image of like that guy like you know like like as like a horror movie as a horror movie character like climbing up through the floorboards to take your bankroll and uh yeah that's that's the idea like you're you know you're gonna get in somehow like they they have to like they have to leave an opening some uh, somewhere if they wanna if they wanna close one somewhere else yeah i think it's also like a more direct conflict you're almost both going in there with an assumption that i've got a better strategy than you and that they claim the other thing and then you're going to test it against each other and there's no hiding place either it's a stalemate or someone's got an edge on the other player and there's lots invested in that the longer you play the more invested you yeah. are in your assumption being correct and unless you're going in there for a learn experience like you play linus or somebody where you're maybe taking it for granted that they have an edge most of the time you're going in there to beat that other person so yeah it's a direct conflict in some some avenues which can definitely create a intense emotional reaction both winning and losing i can actually strongly relate as well like if i would be playing three-handed you'd be very very focused and let's say a recreational joins the table yeah, it's yeah. it's somehow you you take a the step back drops. somehow yeah, it's, it's yeah, like yeah. oh uh, and then I, and then I, when I, you like, take you a step a back you're less focused you actually start to make more mistakes and then you actually are less of a winner than when you were playing very tough lineup three-handed for example yeah yeah i i like yeah that, that was that was exactly what i just noticed about myself where i was just like i i'd, I'd have all of these like you know allegedly very good tables and i would just be like blundering or like missing like missing things which i'd usually catch and i think it was just because i i felt like i just was making money just for showing up um because you know because there was a spot at the table um so so yeah and that was why i kind of decided that i was just gonna like why i was gonna just play uh, just play everyone uh and and it kind of means that now like if a recreational comes along i'm still still trying to like maintain that sort of like you know predator mentality right where it's just like yeah it's like <laughs> it's like i've like i've earned this table by getting people to not play me you know like i've earned the open set and like now they have to come because there's a recreational okay like now that they have to play me like now i'm gonna crush them um, yeah exactly yeah. that was i remember also that was at some point I, I started to notice this and every time when the table would fill out because you kind of think like oh yeah now it's now it's easy quote quote that's kind of i think what what happens in your brain uh, but then I said, no, no, okay. So the, not, the goal is now not to win at this table. The goal is how can I punish the guys who now sit at, seated at my table? How yeah. can I make them? <laughs> they they hunted in my game. How can I make them now no, no longer a winner? That then became my sort of my goal. So that yeah, I feel, I, raises I, I always, kind of the challenge. Yeah, I, so, I sort of like catch myself thinking like, uh, like, you know, these like the bum hunters don't deserve an easy ride. 
you know <laughs> yeah no i, I can i they, can very much relate to this in, experience like like they they don't get to play me on my b game <laughs> just because they waited for a wreck to come and they've dodged the wreck battling uh the wreck battling like they they still like you know i still want to make i still want to make life as tough as possible for these guys i, w I want to be like a problem at the table for them i think what we're describing here adam is a clear a clear uh, example of flow state yes and also uh of almost like initiating like a challenge response you're someone who thrives on challenge you want to be confronted you want to be the alpha of the kind of dynamics and you're willing to battle to prove it so you almost like once like uh Owen said he, he really resonated with linus quitting the table when a fish comes most players don't resonate with that most players are like what like is this guy just burning money <laughs> so it takes a certain personality to uh really step into competition that battle to wanting to prove yourself also requires a lot of confidence because i can relate this conversation as well to sunny one of our other previous guests who was also a fast riser he has a similar mindset of just sitting in really tough games and not being scared of what comes from that just willing to put it on the line so there comes an element of trusting yourself to uh, play a tough opponent because when you're doing what one does and stepping into the kind of lion's den so to speak there's other lions there who want to rip you apart so you've got to be able to uh, hold your own stand up to them so uh, yeah i'm curious to know actually for yourself owen what have been some of the uh, ways this has backfired i can definitely tell how it's got a lot of benefits to uh, putting you in tough scenarios and learning growing has there been any sort of times periods challenges where you've been like i wish i wasn't so competitive i wish i was more of a bumper <laughs> now um i don't know i don't know really i i, I don't feel like because like obviously you know i probably could have made more money in a different way uh, if I was game selecting a bit more, um, or like, you know, devoting more time to trying to get into some good games. But I'd also like, I think I'm a much better player because of this attitude. And then like the long term EV of being a better player is just worth more to me than the money. Like if someone said to me, okay, well, you could have like bum hunted this year, and you could be like 100k richer, but you wouldn't have you know, you wouldn't have done like all that battling and like learned, like with that intensity. Then yeah, no, I, I'd much rather, I'd much rather be this way. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what the dollar amount is where I've become a bum hunter. I mean, surely there, there is one somewhere, but yeah, I just feel like it's, uh, it's like, like, you know, like there's, there are these 20k reg battles going on, uh, on, on ACR, right? And like, okay, uh, like, it's hard to say who exactly is winning and who's losing, but like, let's say Linus is still crushing them, you know, like he doesn't have to go hunt for a fish to, to have like this, this crushing win rate. And like the way you get to there is by having that, like, you know, that fighting spirit and also by, by learning as much as you can. So it's like, I've always thought of, um, so the money will follow the value. If you create that value within yourself, then, um, then the money will take care of itself later. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't really say I've regretted this at all. Uh, it's probably like exacerbated some, some downswings, but I also feel like I'm pretty, uh, I'm like, I'm like pretty okay with handling them. Like, I mean, obviously they, you know, they suck, but I don't feel like they, you know, I don't feel like as affected by other people. And especially if you're playing in really tough games, it's like, I've sort of gone into them with the mentality of like, okay, this could, this can go horribly. Like, even if I'm winning, this can go horribly because the, these are good players, right? Like that and the standard deviation is going to be huge. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think for you, it's clear that the, the long-term goal is to be as good as possible, be the best version of yourself. Yeah, I, 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 I want to be number one. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'll make it. I don't know if I'll make it, but um, but I, I want to be number one. In fact, there was like a, 
the, re the reason I chose my screen name uh, and called myself Prodigy, which is incredibly cocky, I'm well aware, um, was basically I was on like a huge downswing at 5k. I mean, I say huge. I was on like a 20 buy and downswing. But the smallest stake I was playing was 1k, right? I wasn't playing anything in between. So I was on like 100k, like I think it was like 130k downswing of like, of like uh, I had like, I mean, it, it was more than half my role, basically. Um, and like what kept happening is, you know, like I grind at 1k for ages, finally get the roll back to a decent point, uh, go back to go back to 5k, get smacked until I was like getting tilted enough that I didn't fancy going back down. And I was kind of like degenning the roll a bit um, to keep playing in those games. And, you know, like at a certain point, like the doubt starts creeping in. It's just like I could just like smack about 1k. You know, I could just play in this game where like there's a comfortable win rate. These people aren't testing me as much. It's not as stressful. Like even when it goes wrong, uh, like I'm, you know, there's no doubt about uh, like whether I'm winning in the game long term. Um, and so, but and then like I made an account on ACR because um, I'd only been playing on GG at that point. I made an account on ACR and like I was trying to think of a name and I thought the name Prodigy and I was like, oh, that's you know, it's kind of cocky as I said. But then I was thinking like. If I call myself Prodigy and then like I sit at 1k forever and I don't make it happen and I don't crack high stakes, like that will tilt me so hard. Like seeing like I've just called myself Prodigy and then like never made it happen. Like like I've just like lied to myself. And so I kind of like, you know, wrote it down and sort of like a promise to myself that like this is going to be, you know, this is going to be correct. Like, like this is, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in the effort and like this is, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this come true. I love that. It's almost like we, uh, we have a real strong desire and urge to stay consistent with our own narrative of ourselves, And sometimes putting ourselves on the line like that, calling yourself the prodigy is like, all right, well, that's me. I can live up to that now. I can't sit and bum hunt because I'm the, I'm the prodigy now. So yeah. Yeah. I yeah. That. And this was when I, this was when I like decided I was just going to play everyone. Right. I was just like, mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, there's no, you know, if you're going to be cocky, do it right. Like <laughs> no, uh, no, no half measures. All right. So your journey, let's, let's track backtrack a little bit and go through your kind of fast rise. So uh, you went from, I don't know what stakes you exactly started at, but you got to 1Ks within about a year. Could you talk us through that kind of fast rise through the stakes early on? What are some of the things you were learning? How were you able to progress to 1K so quickly? Um, so I think, um, well, I think, I mean, one, I like ran really well. Uh, <laughs> like, I think, well, when I like first played, like my first ever tournament, I went to my university poker sock and I won the tournament. I mean, it was only for two hundred dollars, uh, two hundred quid, but like I won that. And then like I went online, like a few weeks later, I played like a fifteen dollar tourney. It was like a huge field, and I won that for five k. And so I was like, <laughs> I was like sun running right out the gate. Uh, and then I lost a bunch of it back, so I thought I was better than I was. But then that like really like, you know, the realization that I wasn't as good, uh, it like actually like really really motivated me um to get better i mean i was also i was also like already in love with the game like you know it doesn't hurt when you like run run like a god right at the start um yeah um yeah i just remember i think yeah honestly i think i was just like i was just a bit like untamed i guess is how i would say it. and it like really really worked for those stakes um like i just wanted like i just wanted to bluff people and like not in like any like, I just felt like, I just felt good if I got like, you know, if I got a bluffer against these people. So, and it's like, when you're playing against a population who is like overwhelmingly too tight, um, you don't really need any subtlety. 
like that can come later um especially because i was playing on party poker which is like which had like i don't know if any of you play back in the day but it was like a, a huge like leaderboard grind it was like all these people playing like insane hours um and like you know they're just like folding all these close spots and i think i was like like i didn't really have much technical knowledge but i was just fearless like uh instantly um so yeah i got to yeah i got to 1k like fairly fast um yeah i can't i think it was like 1k was when i first started like actually working on the technical side of my game i think before before then like i was just like you know just trying to just trying to scare people and like it works because if people aren't too technical and like they have like very simple heuristics where it's like oh if someone puts a stack in they have it and it's like well you know that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of an easy one to exploit right like like you know it's no limit holding it's not exactly work to get uh, to get the stack in if you know that that's like good in most situations um so yeah i was pretty uh like pretty wild and no salty but yeah i think i think you can you can kind of make that approach work for but at least until like well i don't know if it, i i don't know i haven't played those stakes in a while but i would say like at least until 200 and now these days i would guess you can just be you can just be a bit insane and they, they don't fight back it sounds like your natural fearlessness and aggression set you up well to begin with some run good as well which like fast tracked your your eyes at this stage were you all in on poker or were you doing any studies or did you have anything else going in your life oh, no, around I, the same? i was all in like instantly like yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it was like complete like like I was technically still studying, but like, I was just like, I wasn't going to class. Like I wasn't handing in my essays. Um, remember I got back, uh, like for Christmas and I'd made like, I'd made like 4k or something in a month, which was like huge money to me at the time on a student loan. Uh, and I just showed it to my parents. I was like, okay, like I ran well this month, but I've also like you know, look, look, I can, I, I can do this as sort of proof. And then they were, you know, they were like very supportive. They were just like, okay, if you're really sure you can drop out of uni, I was like, I am really sure. And I also kind of let slip to them at that point. I was just like, yeah, I've done no work this year. Like <laughs> at minimum, I'll be retaking second year. Um, so, so then they were just like, okay, well you can like, and like the uni as well were like, uh, we're just like, well, you can drop out. And like, if you want to restart again next year. And so I sort of had this like, I sort of had this time to just like go for it with no repercussions. Um, so yeah, I just like, yeah, I just like fully threw myself into it. There was someone I knew from uni who was a pro, like I was like instantly getting coaching from him, um, like straight out the gate. And uh, I like, I like bought upswing immediately, like consumed all the content in the lab. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I was just like, I was just like instantly obsessed. It, it was like effortless. It didn't feel like work, you know, like I wasn't, um, I didn't feel pressure to work hard to make up for quitting my degree. I was just like, I was just like playing and studying an insane amount because it's what I wanted to do. Hi guys, Renee aka The Weko here with a quick Mechanics of Poker 2.0 announcement. In our program, you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player. Now, one of these, of course, is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. We'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your EV when those pots become very big. 
Our mindset and performance coach, Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt, and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and how to continuously improve as a poker player. Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. So you're all in on poker, you're rising quickly, things are going well, you're running good on top of that. And then as you mentioned, when you started playing 5Ks, reality kicked in and you had a six month patch of losing half your role up to 100K. What was it about that time that was challenging and how did you get through that time? I'm sure people who, who are listening to this might go, wow, that's a super challenging period and I'm not sure if I could go six months with losing half my role. What were some things that were going on yeah. for you that, that time and how did you uh, push past that? Yeah, I think... Like I, I was down lifetime in cash games at one point by like quite a bit as well because I kept uh, I kept keeping the five k shots going by like binking tourneys, which led to a really weird imposter syndrome where I was like like down lifetime in cash, just like just, like still playing high stakes, just like wait, am I a fish? <laughs> like I I might have been I might <laughs> I I can't I can't remember uh, how how good I was um, I can't remember yeah yeah I can't estimate whether I or I was doing one of the games. I think like, I think like part of, um, yeah, like part, part of the problem was like the, the uncertainty of like knowing what the gap was. Um, like I knew these guys were better than me, but it's like, um, like, you know, when you play like other stakes, right? There's like, you know, there's the 100 NL regs, there's the 200 NL regs and whatever. But when you get to 5K, it's like basically everyone plays 5k there's like maybe i don't know there's like five ten guys who can't be bothered out of like the online players um and so so it was like it was like really stressful being like okay i know i was like i know i was like one of the top guys at 1k and i was like usually that just transitions into the next stake but then i could just feel like i, I like no, I, yeah, I wasn't really sure how much more work I had to do. And like, a, you know, it's like, it's like this sort of, um, it's almost like cognitive dissonance of like having like this, you know, this faith in your own abilities and just being like, okay, I do all these things well. And then, but also just being confronted by the evidence, you know, it's like not being insane. It's just like, I am, I am getting smacked every time I play. Also, there were just hands where like people were just clearly outplaying me as well. Um, like, I remember there was this one hand, like, I actually won the hand, but, like, this this hand, like, scared the shit out of me, um, where it was, like, it was, like, it was a free but pot, blind versus blind against Vicente, and I, and, like, I just flopped top set, and we were 200 big blinds deep, and I tripled off for a stack, uh, and he called me down with king high, um, 
and I was like, just the 200 big blinds, and I was like really aware when he called me down that I'd been over bluffing. Like, like I, I, I was sitting there as he was tanking on the river, just like, just like thinking I might get called. I, I was thinking about it. I was just like, wow, I, I, I like, I'm actually really overdoing this spot. I, I, I sort of only just realized like how little I was repping. Um, and then like he flick, he, you know, he flicks in the call with King High, and I was just like, I remember just being like, okay, like I just won 10k, and it feels fucking great. But like, but like I could, I could feel the, you know, I could just feel how out of my depth I was to be like, you know, to be like playing pots with this guy. Like he was just, he was just clearly completely smashing me. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was like free handed with a fish, so I was still playing. But it was like, uh, like, like I, I hated that feeling of just being like. You, you know just having to like deal with the shit someone was throwing at you like like i was you know i was under no illusions that i was the one creating problems for him like that there was no way that was happening um, so this stage you're realizing that you're a bit out of your depth and these guys are really good and there's a gap between your strategy and theirs but you can't really figure out exactly like how to close it like where you actually lie on the spectrum compared to them so how did you go about getting through this space how did you learn to close the gap what were the things that you were uh, were focusing on during this period to catch up uh, so, so one thing was I, I joined uh, Gorilla, uh, which, well, I mean, that <laughs> that was like, honestly, the main thing, like, um, which helped so, so fucking much. Because um, like all these, all these guys, like so many of them have been like crushing high stakes for so long, like they're, you know, they're such top level players. Um, and it was like, you know, on, on like on the one hand it was also realizing that like okay i'm seeing all these places where these guys are executing so so well and, like i was fixating on that and i was missing that like they are still human you know that they these guys like they are still parts where their strategy is falling short um the thing which is different is like it's like you know when you see like these guys who play like every stake it's like there will be parts of the game tree which they'll execute absolutely amazingly and then parts where they're making mistakes whereas i feel like when you're at like one kill below basically everyone is you know to some extent fucking up every node like not not necessarily by huge amounts but um and it's not to say like the high stakes guys are like completely nailing everything down to the accuracy of a solver but like they they understand the dynamics with with um gen generally a lot more fluency um, but like there are still spots where there are still spots where they they clearly like are like a bit confused just because like poker is like a, a really really complex game and like having that confidence to go like uh when someone messes up to not just go oh this guy's exploiting me uh <laughs> to not have that instant reaction of like oh like you know what whatever he's done must be like must be explainable by like coming up with some re weird convoluted process and i was just like talking to some guys it's just like oh no, no like this guy this guy has fucked up um and i also had like the opposite side like there were things which i was working on and i always just almost thought they were too obvious to even bother with i was just kind of trying to like fine tune stuff a bit and like but then it's almost like ah, oh, what's the point of like trying to run this line like everyone knows the counters to it anyway you know like like everyone's just bad like everyone's just balanced everywhere and talking to people and they're just like they're just like oh no this is going to be like really difficult to deal with like like if you if you like drag people to these spots like that you know there's a really high chance people will make mistakes um and so yeah yeah like like hearing that hearing that these guys were human gave me a lot more confidence i mean of course of course there's also like you know the technical side and like listening to their thought process um like what one skill in particular was um 
which I'd, I'd really never thought about because I'd always focused on the technical side of my game. But uh, one thing which I learned was like how to isolate really important factors quickly because um, the amount of times I saw what looked like a really complicated decision and then someone could explain like how to get to the right answer within like a sentence because they got to, you know, they, they like the pattern recognition for what was the deciding factor was so, so quick. Uh, instead of trying to get lost in like the weeds of like all of these finer details and i think that that was something which you know which really helped me because i i I'd, I'd only been trying to make my thought process more complicated i'd just been trying to add like layers and layers and layers to it um mm. instead like instead of actually like making it more streamlined you know <laughs> so, sometimes the sometimes the answer is simple yeah so uh in practice, how do you go about doing that? How do you go from like complex thinking, complex strategy of thinking of all the, the granular details to isolating important factors? What are some of the things you found important to condense and simplify your decision-making process so you could actually make better decisions? I mean, one thing was I, I went away from the table uh, and looked at like, and actually started thinking about well actually uh, like how much weight should i give to everything um and trying to trying to assign a priority to various factors rather than because what i'd been doing in game before was like okay i knew a bunch of things which could have an impact on my strategy and then like you know and then i just like think about all of them and then i just be a mess maybe like three are saying go one way three are going the other but then, but then sometimes it's like, but then, yeah, what, once you've done the work and you, you've thought about like, which ones are going to supersede which other ones. Uh, and then suddenly like, you notice one thing and it's like, well, I don't even need to go down to reasons like two through six. Like this one is just like, like, even if all everything else disagrees, this one will be strong enough, you know, in an extreme example. Um, mm. And yeah, yeah like getting mm. used to that. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, go ahead. Can you remember any specific things that uh, you started to weight differently in terms of this hierarchy? Let's say uh, every decision we've got like five to 10 things we can weight in terms of significance. Or where do you feel like people make mistakes with their weighting when they're trying to uh, simplify? Which, which uh, factors do people think are I'm, more important? Uh, I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to be coy. I'm doing exactly <laughs> what I complained about earlier. Uh, not try uh, trying not to give too much away. Um, I'd, prob I'd probably say like one of the things that um, people put like too much weight on is like the exact frequency that your hand has in theory um because like one of the ways i always look at it is like okay like you know if this hand is showing up in a line a lot like yeah you are giving someone a lot of information but until they adjust like it's just an option um and like um and so and so like you know instead of instead of spending so much time going like oh this hand is this hand is supposed to take this action exactly like you know 20 percent of the time just sort of going like okay well this this is the main line for this hand this is the sideline uh and then like you know and, th and then immediately going to okay is there anything which will break that equilibrium and then like you know if i can't get to that which of course is gonna it's gonna happen a ton like you can't like you can't just force exploit every single spot um, but instead of, instead of trying to, instead of trying to do that, uh, I, I, well, yeah, yeah. If, if, if I can't get to that and then it's like, okay, well we can play like, I can play like a, a rough mix, which is going to be close enough that like, no one's going to be able to, 
you know, no one's going to be able to work this out. This isn't going to show up in my frequencies because like you'll overestimate these small things as often as you underestimate them. Uh, like it's uh, especially in six max where you get like hidden in the crowd. Um, so yeah, instead of trying to execute everything on like a, you know, on a theory perfect level, just like get the theory, like, like ha have, have the theory, like you want, you want the theory at a high enough level that you can like execute that almost on autopilot, which is obviously very hard and you need to do a lot of technical work on that. But then it's like, you know, what, once you know, once you know, these are your options and then it was like trying to use, trying to use my brain power to decide between them. And it's like, yeah, it, which is just worth more. Cause if you can make a, if you can make an adjustment for like one BB compared to if you can take two things, which are like completely even EV and then play the mix between them slightly more precise. It's like, well, which one actually gains you real EV? Mm. Yeah. It's almost like coming up with simplified strategies that are easier to execute that don't cost you EV and then stress testing those to see that you haven't missed any variables in the weighting that would break that assumption of simplification. Yeah. No, it's just funny you say simplified strategies because like every single person I ever play or talk poker about says I play the most needlessly complex strategy of all time. Um, <laughs> like you know, one of the things Doug said to me immediately after the match was just he was just like do you need to use all these sizes like I feel like it's not gaining you that much EV and I was just like but it's fun like <laughs> like you know and I have a lot of practice of it um you know it's like he like you know he's not used to seeing someone with like you know like he doesn't even know how many sizes I'm playing in a bunch of different spots um and so like whilst it will increase the rate which i make errors like it will increase the rate which which they make errors and like i'm i'm used to practicing it but yeah yeah, yeah. So it's funny when you say like you know using a simplified abstract strategy because it's like like i say this but you know at the same time yeah I, i'm trying to i'm trying to like i'm trying to like lead people into into the woods a little like i remember uh there's a quote from Mihal tal a uh a chess grandmaster who's like one of my idols in chess because he's like incredibly tactical aggressive player and he said, uh, you must uh, lead your opponent uh, deep into a dark forest where there's only the way out for one. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that's, uh, that's kind of a way where like, I sort of tried to play poker, where it's like I tried to keep things, I tried to keep things complex and keep people on their toes, like keep, you know, and then just hope that I can hope that I can make the right play slightly more than them you know it's not about making the perfect play every time but it's like if i if i make a more accurate play 51 percent of the time you know like suddenly i'm winning um, mm. yeah it's an interesting interplay between simplicity that you can execute well and then the complexity and taking people into the woods as you explained it and playing kind of street poker where you make it di difficult for them you take different lines that make them uncomfortable and put them in situations where you're hard to play against but at the same time simplifying for yourself so you can actually execute those kind of interplays which are challenging to get to. I think it's a good time for you to come in, Rennie. I know you think a lot about the weighting of certain variables for decision-making. Where do you feel like players potentially overcomplicate when they don't need to or oversimplify and cost themselves easy that way? Yeah, it's funny because I've talked strategy with people and I mean, we have people on the pod and we have them fill out a questionnaire and like how they, we have some questions technically how they approach poker. And we have many people who are very successful and they fill out completely different things. There is no, I want to point that out. There is no one way that is Ooh, correct. Yeah. Because for example, we're talking about, in this case, Doc also pointing out, Owen, why you make things so complex. But probably if you ask Owen, Owen, how complex does it feel for you? It's probably not as complex as it would feel for someone who, who was simplifying their strategy. I can be wrong here, uh, Owen. But it, does yeah, it actually no. feel that complex for you? Well, it's like... 
because I, I I'm just trying I'm trying to think I'm always trying to think in like words while I'm playing. Do you know it's like, oh, this hand would want to go into a small bet line for this reason, rather than thinking about it as like this hand is like a twenty percent small bet, ten percent big bet, like seventy percent check, um, and like trying to like picture reasonable lines for a hand. And then I feel like I've spent so much time practicing it that even if I, like the thing is that there is like a really big gap between my a game and c game honestly and i think like part of that is just because when i'm c gaming i can get a bit lost in my own strategy but when i'm a gaming i i have the confidence that um i'm going to be able like i'm going to be able to you know navigate around this more efficiently than uh than my opponent is yeah i can very strongly relate to to what you're saying here also what you're talking about like the frequency play or something that is unfrequent i feel like a lot of people just say oh yeah but this only happens five percent of the time or in this spot the clearly dominant sizing is just this so you just should only play that but in my opinion in these sims if something happens let's say there's one hand that specifically wants to do something different than the rest of the strategy a lot of players then say we should neglect that but i actually think it's the opposite that one hand apparently says something about why like i, I would get fascinated about that one hand like why does the, that hand go against the strategy? What is the what is that that hand achieving differently in this sizing or with this play that goes against the strategy? Now I'm not saying that you know we should only focus on that hand, but it can teach us a certain concept that we can then use into different scenarios as well, which we can then use in the tables. For example, let's say oh you cut it in a spot where people say oh I have to range bet this for small. You say. Well, my default will be I'm going to bet a lot. That's already different than range for usually a small sizing. But you should allow yourself some room to think about what your hand actually wants to do. It's it's all the hands in your range that lead it to mainly do that. But maybe you have a hand that wants to actually go a different direction. Yeah, I mean, I something which I've, which I've always liked to lean into is like embrace your fancy play syndrome a bit. And it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean you want to make these fancy plays for no reason, but, you know, look into them, like try and work out like, you know, why does this exist? Like, like why, like, you know, what happens if someone, you know, what happens if we take this away? Um, and then, and then you can, you know, you can see like, sometimes like, sometimes these things don't have extreme effect on strategy, but also you have these effects where it's like, well, just because you've, just because you're doing something a bit imprecisely because you're in some weird line where maybe you're not completely practicing it and they still need to know the answers um it's like you know it's like there are spots where someone gets to um they get to like range bet in three bet pots and like there's no raising in position it's like well you still need to know a good way to respond if someone raises you because like there are players out there you know like Stefan, like Barry, like I mean, obviously they're not in everyone's games, but like you look at how they play, and like I always think of it as like you're sort of like prodding your opponent's strategy, like you you just sort of ask them these questions, and it's like okay, prove you know what to do to make this not a play I can make, um, and it's like if they don't know if they don't know the answers, it's like okay, suddenly this play is like completely fine, and maybe even like the optimal line for a bunch of hands. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, it's like the vast majority of players you're playing aren't going to try and test you in that way. Um, but, but yeah, I, th I think that's where, like, 
yeah that's where that's where you can that's where you can get some edge like you don't necessarily like there's so many there's so many players who like focus on being solid and it's like you're not gonna you're not gonna get a big ev edge out of them in uh in the main lines so whilst you can't drag them to like these weird lines like every single hand it's like it's like well this is you know this is a chance to like out execute someone i i think that um i sort of like tactics you know it's like it's like you can't force someone necessarily to make a mistake but um but you know there, there are things you can do which are like massively win rate shifting if you like if you can identify a mistake that someone's making yeah, I, li I like what you're explaining. I think this also way more applies. Let's say we are the aggressor. That's usually spots where we can decide the strategies, where as if we're responding to a certain strategy that someone lays out, kind of the approach is a little bit different. But what you were ex what you were describing there was quite interesting. So let's say, for example, I do something that's quote, quote, not a thing. But let's say I practice a strategy. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this thing that's not a thing. What should his adjustment be? He's likely to screw up this adjustment. So now my thing becomes a thing, right? And the same yeah, what you yeah. said about frequency. I really like it. Like a frequency play, I see it more as like, it's a suggestion, you know? Yeah, it's, an, yeah. it's an option <laughs> that we could take. And then it's like, okay, this is done with a certain frequency. When would this be very good? And when would this be very bad? And that kind of opens up a different way of thinking about the game. And I think a very big problem that a lot of players have is when you try to just copy the solver, you stop thinking. That's usually yeah, usually yeah. one thing that happens is you need to restart thinking about the game. And then actually you'll be like, oh, oh. If you ask yourself, suddenly ask yourself certain better questions, you will suddenly start to think more creatively and better lines will come out. Yeah, like some of my, like historically, I can always, I mean, I don't remember specifics, but I always remember the feeling of like, after I've done a, a patch of doing lots of study, I've always feel like there's like a sort of um, there's a phase in between where you study all this new stuff, but you don't have the fluency and like my play feels like very robotic like the stuff isn't well integrated. It's almost like I've forgotten, uh, <laughs> forgotten how to deal with playing like an actual human um, where like, you know, where, where it's like things are going to be like largely more intuitive from people. They're not going to be like, like if someone, like if a solver uses the wrong size <laughs> or like the wrong size it's like it's it's using it with a perfectly balanced like one percent range right um whereas if you see that versus a you know if you see that versus a human like it's up to you then to decide like you know what does what does this say about the way they're playing um which i think which i think is why it's like so like so interesting the way stefan plays because it's like like he just does stuff which is like so off the beaten track like right from the start of hands like like you know he just has like all these different opening sizes like he'll just like see that completely like <laughs> completely like theoretically wrong sizes just to just to have as many nodes as possible from there on in where you don't know what's happening um and so it, it, it yeah it means like there's this there's this always interesting dynamic of like he's giving up like He's giving up theory, but he's trying to create enough tactics to overcome it. It's like, you know, like someone someone who's playing like solid theory could have like baseline strat versus strat. They might be like beating Stefan for like five BB. And then it's like, okay. But like, you know, <laughs> can he find like, you know, can he find like a five BB adjustment once every hundred hands? Like, you know, this this is like so challenging to play against that, like, you know, like he clear he clearly does because he's got like a He's got like a huge win rate and has for, has for a very long time. Yeah, and basically, if you think about it, where 
most of your decisions will start is with your opponent's range, right? Because you have to estimate, okay, how am I doing against my opponent's range? But if he keeps on doing all these things that you have no clue what his range actually is, and he knows exactly what your range is, you're definitely yeah, in, yeah. A, in, a, in a disadvantage. Yeah, it's like, it's like, sure, he gets owned sometimes, but he just comes out on the right side of it. Like, yeah, for know, sure, he comes for out sure. on the right side of it more often than not. Um, it's also like, yeah, like sometimes I just see him do things where it's like, and then like someone will make the exact mistake. Do you know, like there's something kind of beautiful about like someone, you know, when someone shows the exact hand, which proves how like on point his like his adjustment was. Uh, and I feel like I, I feel like that's that's like so fascinating for me to watch, like more so than like, you know, to to like GTO bots seeing how close they can get to an equilibrium. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it stimulates the the more creative side of your brain, I would say. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned that uh, at some point when you were talking with Adam, you mentioned that you were still screwing up a lot. What were some leaks that you had to overcome in order to yeah to sort of earn your place with the big boys i think uh, you're mainly talking about what when you're playing 1k i, I was i was like like the first thing I, I was like i was like scared to fold because of people's names and like like not even like <laughs> not even like not even like folding theory captures like like i was just like I just had this image of like what a good player was and I was like a good player is someone who runs you over and then I would just have hands which are just pure folds in theory and I'd be scared to fold them because I was like you know that was just how I had this uh this sort of like and I had to you know I had to actually like you know work on that and just not like you know like thinking something beyond like oh my god like i'm playing against duty like you know <laughs> like i like i can't i can't fold the duty he'll know um <laughs> like he'll know if i'm folding um and it's like well yeah and so, so i was like i was like going way way overboard which is like i mean it happens to like so many people when they move up in stakes is like they think um they suddenly like they suddenly think yeah every, everyone at the next stake is like a psycho and can and can see like your money scared it's like okay i have to have to like rebel against this money scared image it's just like instead of instead of being money scared i'm just like handing them my role like every time they flop a hand um like yeah obviously you, you just have to be you know you have to be somewhere in the middle like like if you're just yeah it's it, like like it's one thing hero calling and then it's another thing just like calling every catcher every time without much subtlety and i think it's just like you know these are smart guys they can just see that <laughs> you know they don't necessarily know why i was doing it right but like they you know they can see it and like and then suddenly and then suddenly like the the mistake gets accentuated because like these guys adjust very very quickly um it's like you can only do that so many times before you're never seeing a bluff uh so yeah that was something which i which i like had to get over like, <laughs> like yeah throw, especially when you start calling things that are just never a call it's it's usually alerts the alarm but like if you call if you call a frequency hand more often then like the other person's like, well, this is probably a frequency call. If you call it always, it's very hard to figure out. Obviously, over the long term, your frequencies can be a bit out of line. But if you start calling shit, that's just never a thing. The other person's like, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just like, and I think, yeah, as well, like, I would just like have like a decently strong hand. And then like, you know, if a good player put me all in, I wouldn't even like really think. I'd just be like, oh, I have to call this guy. And then like, you know, later realize, oh, this hand is actually like, you know, it's a strong hand, but like he's repping stronger. This hand is a mix. 
but like I would just have like snapped the call button because I just like ah he has bluffs like you know and it's like well I'm not really giving them much incentive to find the bluffs like <laughs> you know um, yeah it's 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 exactly also what you were talking about with Adam as well in terms of what is the deciding factor especially we always focus so much on on theory and in theory everything is very close so deciding factor I think uh, I think that's also to come back to what Adam asked me. Like, for example, overrating blockers, on blockers, especially in spots where we just have infinite combos to work with. Like, obviously, in the solver, it's very important. But in real life, if you play against a nit or someone who's very aggressive or overaggressive, that's a way more deciding factor in terms of what we should consider. If you have the information and you play against someone who's a nit, yeah, I don't care which blocker you have or which unblocker you have. It's probably something not very useful to think about. I think... Um... Yeah, I think I think anyone studying blockers before five k is kind of wasting their time. Like, I think it's just like they're so like they're so unintuitive. That like so many times I hear, um, I hear people from like mid stakes talk about their blockers and and they're just doing the opposite thing to what they think they are, because it's like there's just so much, you know, that there's like so much going on with all of these like tiny effects, um, which like all like add up and like this is the kind of thing which i was like getting lost in um and like trying to like perfectly account for all this stuff um and and, and like i think yeah it, it clearly has a place um but it's also it's like uh, i i i think like there are so yeah there, there are just so many people i've heard who who like spend all their time like digging into the blockers in one like insanely specific river spot and it's just like well like it, it, it's a much bigger strap mistake to like to like not have to like have like no bluffs or like way too many bluffs than it is to like pick the slightly wrong combos um so like if you can identify like a bunch of reasonable combos and then like sort of like you know it, it, like even if you don't like have an exploitive read but you can go okay all these combos are reasonable i can probably go with it like about this much from all of them and then just like you know, be fearless and adjust later rather than trying to wait, like work out the perfect one and just be like, okay, like this is the one I go. And then like you're B gaming for a second and you miss it. And then suddenly like, and then suddenly you're a net because like you missed, you missed this is like this like specific blocker combo, which was supposed to do something else. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, now for this session, I've just been less aggressive than I, than I should be. I saw like Phil Galfon talking about this thing where it's like the way he rated his sessions was like, um, you know what like one of them was like how accurately he was playing but also it's just like how much he was like like the power i think he talked about which is like going for spots like you know going for spots fearlessly and like not worrying like you know like playing playing in a way which he knew was like making ev without being like overly paranoid about the outcome and stuff like that is like way more important um to like keep up your aggression to a proper level and like force people to pay you off and like force like you know and win pots than it is to like you know get some magical blocker play like completely correct yeah and also in your decision making process let's say for example you look at spot like hmm and you end up like this is usually what happens to me like okay this seems very close and that's when it's already closed then suddenly like smaller things can start to take place like yeah okay this this hand is maybe not ideal but you arrive that by first thinking about other variables and yeah, then you yeah. arrive to the conclusion okay it's very close and it's very close, then we could maybe see like, okay, well, I have this blocker, I have that blocker, maybe there's an impact. 
or you know, or playing a limp pot or four bet pots makes a big difference. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're obviously going to be there are going to be spots where like blockers are like really important, like especially as as ranges get tighter. Um, but but it's also like you know if if you if you mess up the blockers that you're bluffing with, even in these spots where there are like really good preferred blockers, but it's like, but you still have like a good overall aggression level. Like your the the amount of like max EV that your strat is losing is still pretty small. Um, yeah, compared compared to just uh, compared to just being like, you know, in pursuit of perfection, but just ending up too tight because like the solver will always do things which are which are like too hard to find. I think like. There are just always like these little bits of aggression where it's like, oh, you miss like, you know, 5% here, 5% there. And it's like, okay, well, there's this one, you know, really obvious combo, which we rolled like a perfect, like 35% with. It's like, but your, <laughs> your strategy is still passive, you know, you, you, because, uh, yeah, because you haven't picked up on these, all, all these little bits. You already mentioned uh, coaching a bit. Who in your career has had a very big impact on your current success? And what do you recall being one of the most important lessons that this person has taught you? Oh, well, um, definitely uh, Yuri. Let's get the shower out here. But like, amongst like other guys at Gorilla, like Bart's been, uh, Bart like Grindcore has been amazing as well. Um, like the most important, um, yeah, I, I, th I think the most important thing was honestly just like hearing on repeat until I believed it that high stakes players are humans too. Um, and just like having, yeah, and just like having the confidence to, yeah, to go out there and like try and work out what is actually going wrong um, in their strat. And it's like, you don't have to, you know, you didn't, ha I didn't have to do it necessarily for everyone off the bat. Like I don't have to sit down and then like, you know, like the first time I'm playing 5k and try and like own duty, but like there are plenty of guys who are like in a similar spot to me and like don't just respect them because of, uh, because of that. Uh, in terms of like strategy, um so which just springs to mind is like learning from um learning from like barack um just how important like how important your execution of your strat is over just your knowledge of your strat um because he plays like what is baseline like quite a simple like a simple strategy to like understand like what's going on and like what the what the ranges are but then his execution within that strat is so insanely high um and so yeah that was kind of the thing which got me you know got me a bit more fo uh, like yeah a bit more focused away away from like the weeds of things um and like and like it was more yeah it was more more about like ha like picking up like all the info that i possibly could yeah and this is kind of a, a trap that you can fall in when trying to get inspired maybe by how other people play one day you're like oh no i need to play like stay fun the other day and we're like no i need to play more yeah, like yeah. barrack we had uh we had matt i love avril lavine on uh, a previous podcast uh and he was also way more in in terms of the simplified camp and like i said i think also earlier you will see successful players do completely different things okay like yeah, in the end, it's going to be the execution of your strategy that's going to determine the EV. Executed correctly, you have high EV. Executed poorly, you have poor EV. Regardless of the strategy. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, like, there's even there's guys who have like, like, like they smashed me heads up, and I was like really confused 
until like I noticed like eventually after being down so many buy-ins because I, I, I was like really confused because his strategy did not seem like that you know like that insane like he was clearly making theory errors but I was like really struggling and it's like you know it's what I was saying earlier about like always being in the tank and like you know you're just all like always feels like there's pressure on like you're you're just not winning very many parts um I just realized like after a while um after recording a session I was just like oh he's He's a timing tell god. Um, like this guy has like this guy is spending so little mental RAM on. I mean, like like it, oh, don't get me wrong. Like this guy's still playing like fine, but like I was just like I was just like, how am I losing to a guy who's like you know he's making an easy mistake here, an easy mistake there, uh, and then he's just like completely like smashing me on timing tells, which is like I only realized like after I'd lost like a bunch of money to him. Um, <laughs> I was just like, okay, okay, I need to you know I need I need to pay attention against this guy. Like he's just owning me. Like he's owning me so hard in this like in this area where you know it's like it's like you sort of project how you think about poker onto other people it's just like oh why like you know i'm thinking of it as like you know a chess game and trying to complicate the position and then he's doing that thing of like he's going straight to something which just supersedes everything else where it's just like oh i took some like weird timing which allows him to hand read me down to like very specific range and then he can make a very accurate decision against that range and which is why i was always in like constantly in these tough spots and like i find one of the things which is always like scary if you're playing someone heads up is when you have a combination of um you know you are seeing some huge bluffs from them but you're also getting like value tricked where they're like massively overplaying hands and then they're also like giving up some pure bluffs in other spots where it would have looked inviting and you had the hand um and like you have like all this going on and it's like it, it feels like the guys inside your head yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. especially just, when you when yeah. you when you when you call light in the spot where he went in and then yeah, you were yeah. like okay now i'm this is spot i'm going to call him and then he gives up it's like mm. <laughs> yeah yeah okay. I, I just i i had like there was one like really specific and where i didn't even like i hadn't even made a hand but I was just like so sure I was calling down and like the guy like snap gave up like a pure follow through and I was just like I just felt like <laughs> I was just like wait how am I like how has he like how has he done this because it like he felt like uh like the rest of the match he'd been like super super aggro and I was like wait how is he like how has he not gone with his hand like um and then I yeah and that, that was the kind of thing which made me get like really paranoid and start like recording the session and going over it afterwards and I was like oh like okay I guess I was just like <laughs> I was just making all my obvious decisions within like one second and then like, you know, tanking when I actually had one. I was just like, okay, like maybe I need to, <laughs> maybe I need to be a bit more like respectful of that area of the game. Like just because I haven't worked on it doesn't mean it's not a way that someone can generate a win rate. That's an interesting point because obviously, let's say you evaluate someone's level, you evaluate it through the eyes that you're evaluating it with. Like, oh, I look at this, I look at this game. Theoretically, he makes this a lot of mistakes. But let's say he's still a big winning player. Well, there's mo most probably there's indeed an error, like for example, what you mentioned with timing tells that you don't really evaluate in terms of when evaluating how good a player is. But if he's still winning and to you terms of like, he's a good player, he's actually not a good player, then what's going on? There's probably something to learn there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh... well, one of the things which I've always um, sort of tried to bear in mind is like, um you don't want to like I, I hear so often like poker players talk about how shit everyone else is they're always just like oh like he's just a dirty sun runner i don't know how he's playing these stakes and like sure some people are running well like some people are on heaters but i think also like 
even if you don't think someone's good, there's probably areas of the game that they're executing really, really well in. Um, and so to always keep an open mind, um, like be prepared to learn from your competition. So ba basically, uh, you can almost learn more from people who play bad, but who are winning because apparently, in terms of your evaluation, you think they're <laughs> bad, but they're winning. So probably there's something you can learn there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also like there can also be these sort of rock paper scissors effects, where like um, you know you can have a win rate against someone because you sort of match up well against them stylistically. But like, I mean, even just on a really simple level, there are some people who I know who are like, they're insane at exploiting fish. Like they, they take lines and like win pots from fish that are like, like get their stack so, so fast. And so it's like, if you're, if you're at the table with them, it's not necessarily your win rate within like a given hand is like massively affected. But it's like you're just going to get less hands against this fish because this guy's going to stack them first, like so, so consistently. Um, and so then it's like, and then when you start evaluating win rate in six max, it's like they could be they could be winning by more than you. And I was saying actually, yeah, which I neglected for ages. Yeah, actually, that was something which um, which Gwarinkor, uh Bart taught me um, was like he had all of the like he could he can pick up so much info on a fish. Uh, and he'll just be able to like he'll he'll be able to tell you what mood they're in from like <laughs> just from like how quickly they're acting pre-flop. Um it'll just be like, oh this guy like you know, he limped really fast and like he snap called when I like ISO'd him and it's just like clearly, you know, clearly he's in like a bit more of a gambling mood. Like this is likely like a very gambly hand which really shouldn't be here. Like, you know, like the fish is probably a bit tilted. This is more seven three suited than like ten nine <laughs> suited sort of sort of range. It's just like this stuff like never even occurred to me, you know, like this sort of like level of insight into how someone is um you know how, how someone is thinking about the game. But like obviously with you know with fish you can draw these like really really strong assumptions i mean I, like you know also like he has like you know amazing uh you know like there's amazing fury sighting you can also you can do this to regs as well but it's just like fish like there's such a there's it's like such an upper bound to how much you can uh fit to like how far you can go in that regard actually i noticed this especially also with uh what you mentioned with timing, let's say I, I, I make a video or I play something at lower stakes. I see this way more often where I evaluate players playing at lower stakes. I'm like, whoa, timing tell here, time tell that. <laughs> like every, everything is like, oh, everyone is just play every time telling you exactly what kind of range they have. But when you move up, then I do my day-to-day -day game and I'm like, I don't really see that. I don't really see it as much as I see at lower stakes. Yeah, I think, I think as well, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't mean to sound like, uh, incredibly condescending but like lower stakes players kind of have a bit less to think about you know like so it's like their timing tells naturally get less balanced because like there's less they're thinking about less with their strategy you know a lot of the time i think like people just like you know if you just take like an extreme example you go down to 10 nl if a guy flops an open endo he's just gonna bet it you know like there's not really like evaluating all these other lines so i think sometimes people at high stakes sort of get balanced in this regard a bit by accident um because it's like it's like they're actually there there just is there is enough to their strategy that like you know even the obvious decisions they're like questioning them and like making sure like making sure it's not just obvious but it's but it's correct as well um rather than just like autopilot clicking i'm always curious uh what a successful player like yourself what what, what does a day-to-day -day look like in the life of owen 
Um, it's pretty inconsistent these days, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Maybe back yeah. in a time when you were more consistent. Oh, I don't really think that's ever been thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of, yeah. I get up and just like see what mood I'm in, to be honest. If I'm, I'm usually in the mood to play, but I don't really have set days off. Just if I if I just don't have the energy for it, I take a day off. But like I feel like that leads to me playing a lot more and also feeling less burnt out because I don't feel like obligated to play at all. I'm I'm always just like playing just because I'm motivated. Um and you're motivated enough in general to that it doesn't suffer from any volume issues. I mean I've just always been quite a low volume player, to be honest. Like I um yeah, I remember I was like there's a time when I was like I was like playing 200 NL or something and someone was like advertising a CFP um, and I talked to them about it and one of the first things they said is you have to play 50,000 hands a month I was just like I was like uh, I can give you 30,000 <laughs> back then and this is when I was playing zoom as well I was like I can play like and they were like no, no you have to play 50k to be part of it and I was just like I will just punt if I play those many that many yeah, yeah I don't think uh, that is the for example when I had my CFP I didn't have any I would just agree. I want to see like the effort being put in of a professional poker player. But yeah, some people are just naturally better at playing more tables, less tables, putting in more volume. So if exactly, if I'm going to force more hands onto someone, it's maybe not the correct way. Like if someone is only playing 5,000 hands in less than three months, I'm going to point out, hey, listen, 5,000 yeah. <laughs> hands is not correct. But if someone puts in 300k hands, I will probably also say, hey, buddy, maybe we should yeah, tweak yeah. tweak something here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always like, uh, like I think one of the things when I was like, like back when I was like on a on a downswing, I was like sort of exacerbating it because I, I wanted to make all the money back, so I was uh, so I was playing like, so I was playing like six tables, uh, or like like as much as much action as I could get. Like I'd have like four or five k tables open, and then like two one k tables on the side. Uh, and then like when I go on a downswing from 5k, I would then have like, you know, 10 or like maybe sometimes even more 1k tables open, which I know to some people isn't even that insane, but <laughs> I just can't handle that many tables and I start playing really badly because it's like, it's not like my, you know, it's not like the way I want to play changes. Like I'm still trying to play like on this, like, you know, on a knife edge of like, you know, between like punting and brilliance. Um, but then, but then you're playing like ten tables, and like the balance starts quickly shifting towards punting because there's a reason these plays are low frequency, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's. I think. Yeah. I think the more standardized your game is, the more tables you can handle, and the more room for creativity you allow yourself. The yeah, the more you just are capped with a certain amount of tables, certain amount of volume. Yeah, I mean, there are some guys who like. I think it's like Cameron Couch or Ishta. Um, he plays like 12 tables of 1k and he still seems to play at like like a pretty like you know pretty good level like like he's clearly like thinking through hands he doesn't feel like he's on autopilot and like that just blows my mind like it's it's obviously like you know it's a different type of skill to you know some of these like high stakes guys who can play like one table to like you know they're trying to play one table well not necessarily one table but they're trying to play like two maybe three tables perfectly but like he's playing 12 tables to like a really high efficiency and it's like i i don't think i i don't think i have that in me um, but i think it's also good to know if that's what your strength is then for example uh 
like like for example gg you can probably make a lot of money with the leaderboard uh you get a lot of tables but if that's not your skill then by all means play less tables move up and in the end you could still make the same ev whereas if ishter would maybe do what you're doing and you're doing what ishter doing probably you're, you're probably yeah, yeah. both gonna end up with a lot less money but there's le there's less downswings as well like but they last longer is the problem like if you're playing like less tables at a high win rate you know it's obviously less likely that things go horribly wrong but like when they do it feels like you're living in slow motion i can only imagine what it's like for these live players yeah just, like, it's insane go on, go on like a six month downswing like you know all the time um, yeah i feel like that would be that'd be too much for me you like met many many players you're obviously also a very big into the solvers but in the same time you're mentioning that you always try to exploit as much as possible where wherever possible how did solvers or how do solvers and exploitation complement each other in your opinion well i mean you can like if, if no one's ever done this they should do this as an exercise just go into a solver and put in your strat at like even a simple node just put in your strat and then just look like one, how extreme the solver response is going to look. Like, especially if you're playing like 50 NL or something, um, you're probably going to see like, you, you'll probably get like the solver's probably going to start range bluffing. Like it's air. I mean, like, like that will probably even happen to high stakes players because like the, the, the air will probably even be plus or minus ED, but like the, but like distance from the distance from mixing will probably be less for them. But like, yeah, you can see, um, you know, you can just put that into a solver and you can, you can see like these really insane responses. Um, so yeah, it can't, it, yeah, it sort of goes hand in hand. And then also like, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, like node locking, like everyone's well aware of it, but you can, um, you can try and like run some complex, uh, you can try and like run some more complex stuff. Like you can, you know, you can see how like, okay, well, like if, if we take away these things, if we take away these options earlier in the tree, does it have an impact on like the late stages of the tree? Which is where I think like the benefits of playing like complex game trees can come from. Um, Cause it will have like unexpected effects on like what the ranges look like later down, later down the game tree. And if you can picture them, um, if you can picture them and like, and also I tend to have a good intuition for like um, how a spot is going to feel to someone who hasn't studied it. Which I don't think is something you can really like. You can really teach. I just think that's something which I, I like happen to do quite well. Um, and so and so yeah, I'm I'm usually pretty good at picking out like, like like I can guess how I think like oftentimes, you know like like okay if someone doesn't know what's if someone doesn't know what's going on here, what's a likely mistake they make? And then like from there you can start engineering more stuff. It's just like okay, like someone else who studied, like what's their adjustment? And then, you know, you can, you can learn the exploit to the, to your own base exploit. And then you can also, yeah, you can like sit there and like, you can do the opposite and you can like go, go into the weeds of like all this, like, you know, all these leveling wars, but if you can pick out the right level to be on, uh, and like, you understand what, like what each level means for, for like how it's going to change your combos, then, uh, then yeah, like that's, that's how you can use you can still you can use solvers to play like a very non-solver strat. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you're not looking at the the solver output. Did I play my hand correctly? Or okay, what do I do here? And okay, try to execute. You're really and you know we both me and Em were also definitely in that camp. Way more looking at like okay, what kind of variables impact this strategy? What if I change this variable? What if, and that's what in my opinion when you really start to learn poker. Same what you said. If you remove maybe a future sizing. How does my current 
strategy on, for example, the turn. Let's say he cannot overbet the river. Let's say he doesn't overbet the river. How does my turn strategy change if I'm not going to face that overbet on the river, for example? These are interesting variables uh, to play around with. And it might be in, in that process is when you really start to understand poker. Like, what impact do the variables have that led the strategy that I'm seeing here on my screen lead to be this way? And what if I change the variables to something that is more common? Yeah, like so sometimes you can uh, you can learn a lot by like accidentally running a really bad sim. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Like you can just you can just run a sim where for some reason like your race sizes are just shit, and then you just see like how this impacts. Like you know, you can manipulate the sort of pot sizes that someone is allowed to play, and then if you can see some weird thing where like someone has like. You know they have a specific hand where it's like you know if it raises you it then like like it has like weird river options which don't suit this hand so it can't like it can't go into this line and then like you can sort of like transplant that onto onto someone else you get like when you start realizing you know you get like a pattern for like what sizes do they use here where are they getting the sizes a bit wrong like if i if i were to give them wrong sizes which i think is like you know something which people can easily miss if they're studying from just the sim library um but yeah it's kind of one of one of the funny things because yeah when i first came up and i was like running my own sims and i like ran them wrong so many times and then like you, you know you you run like a better version of it and then you see how it differs and uh and yeah that can be a learning experience whereas like you know now i joined gorilla and they have like this amazing library of all these sims to uh, to just uh to use uh and to look through but it's like <laughs> but like yeah if, if i jumped straight to that then I, I i could have missed all that sort of like fumbling around but you accidentally get some some gems yeah, you can also learn a lot. Sometimes, you know, you try to play around because you want to maybe find like a certain output. You're like, oh, actually, I think this happens. And then you want to say, no, no, if we change this, this is going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. Yeah, like, yeah. Why doesn't happen? And then you suddenly see, <laughs> oh, oh, he solves it by, I remember, for example, it was with, um, I believe it was, I was looking at a blind for its blind spot. And I was like, okay, uh, let's let's remove the three bet option versus a race for the out of position player. So he bets we raise, he cannot three bet. And I was like, well, then we should probably just raise range, right? That was my my natural conclusion. So I put that in and it's like, hey, it's not raising range. What the fuck's going on? I'm looking, looking at the turn. Oh, basically it just calls and dunk bets every turn. So I have to first remove the, the yeah, turns of that yeah, and yeah. then it's we can now raise. So it's, it, it, I had a lot of these kind of situations where you would play around like, huh, why is it not doing? Oh, it found it found it found the it found a way a workaround, you know. Like, yeah. yeah. Also, in restricting the solver, you can also learn a lot about, like, what are okay. Well, he cannot do this. This is his preference. But if we remove this preference, then how does he solve it in a different node? And then often you can find really really interesting things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, completely. I remember. Um... I, I also like yeah there's this one time where i was uh like there was a bluff which i really wanted to be explosively right like um <laughs> and i was like i remember just playing around with the sim for so fucking long trying to get this to work uh and it was like it was not only not using my combo but like my combo was like the furthest distance from being used still and it was like <laughs> I was like, okay, like you know, thank God I've uh, I've tried so hard to get this to to get this to work. I like this is like a clear you know <laughs> clear do not do this under any circumstances. But like I've uh, you know I've learned my lesson. Like I don't need to you know this fancy play is one we can one we can shelve. 
Yeah, sometimes the sumo science is trying to trying to get 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 the solver to give you the validation that what you do is right. Usually you're trying to be right in your hand, but you actually walk away from your your study session with a completely different new new thing that you learned uh, yeah, and yeah. the actual hand that you were looking up uh, ended up being yeah useless anyway or in your case ended up <laughs> no matter what you chase it ended up being a big pot uh what in your what what in your opinion is the best thing a player can do to increase the envy of their career um so i mean in terms of in terms of studying i would say so like i'm I'm like really into like theory of learning stuff and one of the things which i always saw is that you learn you like learn much better when you articulate how you're thinking properly before you study something so if you if you before looking at a spot you like get a clear handle on how you assume the spot to look and then when you see all the places you were wrong it's like you know it's like if you do a test and then you get the test back and then it's like you you never forget the questions you get wrong you know like like it's easy to you know it, it, it'll like stick out in your brain in like a much more visceral way uh and like that's better than just going into things like like it, it you, you just have much better recall of information looking at things like that so that's um so I'd recommend for studying. Um, in terms of career advice, um, um, I'd probably say like, yeah, it's, it's it's important to find people to bounce ideas off, even if you don't want, uh, even if you don't want like a really big group. It's really important to have people sanity check you, um, because like sometimes I would develop these assumptions. Um, or like sometimes you 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 can even you can you can have the opposite where it's like you don't think someone's making a mistake as it like you don't realize that something you're doing is hard um like sometimes it, it's like you'll you'll learn something and then it's easy to forget what it was like not knowing that um because it because it is fully integrated and it becomes this unconscious competence uh but then if you have if you have a group of people around you they can they can sort of keep you you know grounded in in knowing that like okay this thing which i've spent all this time to learn was you know, this was actually difficult this actually is edge and you should you know you should be pushing it to you, you should be pushing it as hard as you can against like against the people who you have evidence don't know um and yeah so, so i think like having a, having a group around you stops you getting uh stops you getting dragged into this sort of like thing where like for me personally at least i i always felt like i was playing against myself when i was playing like it, <laughs> if there were like it's like everything i'm doing would be like a reflection of like you know like what i thought i was doing like if i knew how to bluff a spot it's like okay well clearly we have to call here if i didn't know how to bluff a spot it's like okay well i fold um and it's like that's not you know <laughs> like people are giving you so much evidence about what they know like you don't just want to um you need you need to take that on board and not just take everything as a given so you're basically explaining like kind of the issue of projection and then yeah it's... yeah it's like it's like yeah it's projecting um like like projecting both your own mistakes and your own like and your own knowledge onto other people yeah it's it, it's 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 definitely a curse 
like you 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 figure out this cool thing you know and gives you like a boost of confidence like oh, oh and then within a month you kind of project like oh well now probably everyone knows it and you you kind of lose maybe some confidence in it how did you go about uh fixing that uh so one thing i did some uh some sessions with uh jared tendler doing some like mental game stuff just to make sure just to make sure that wasn't part of my like you know, un like unconscious assumptions. Um, and I think also as well, it's like, you know, like hearing, uh, like hearing the way that like Doody will talk about a guy with like a, you know, this guy's got like a two BB win rate of five K now. And it's just like, you know, if you, <laughs> if you heard, if you heard how he thinks of like the mistakes this guy's making, it's like, uh, you might think he was talking about a 25 an hour wreck. Um, and eventually, eventually that kind of, you know, eventually that kind of sinks in that like, okay, like these are, you know, obviously these are hard things that they're messing up. These are like five KNL regs. Um, but like they are, they are making, yeah, yeah, they, they are like making these mistakes. Um, so yeah, like, like you, you can, you can come at it from both sides, both like they're, they're humans, like making, making a lot of mistakes, but also they're, um, but, but also, also they, like they might be doing things better than you. And so, 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 you know, be, being like, you know, looking at both, like, like, just because, just because I find a spot hard doesn't mean it's hard for them. Uh, but also just because I find a spot easy doesn't mean it's easy for them. Yeah. You have to realize that we basically all have our strengths and our weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you want to, you, you don't want to like, you don't want to just write off your own strengths and say, oh, everyone's strong in this area because your weaknesses still exist. You don't get to write off your own weaknesses. So you need to you need to be able to play to your strengths as much as like work on your weaknesses. Yeah. I would say this has definitely been a big point that I've always struggled with like that. I think, okay, something is great, but then I kind of lose trust in it because I kind of assume that this is general knowledge now. And then maybe also yeah. a good time for you to jump in, you know, you're, you're a mental game coach. Help us out here. Yeah. I think understanding cognitive biases as a category is important. Knowing that the mind makes shortcuts and it generally, uh, there's workarounds similar to a solver that can lead to some kind of deviations in thoughts. So you guys are talking about projection bias, where generally it's like the curse of knowledge. When we know something, we assume that other people know the same information. So we give it less credit or less value. Also, we project our ideas and what we know onto other people. We expect other people to behave how we would behave. So we'll role reverse a scenario and put ourselves in that scenario and say, I would have done this, therefore my opponent should do this. So we can see how many problems this can cause at the pocket tables when we realize people think differently and not like us. So uh, I think with biases, the most important thing is becoming aware of them and the ones that you fall victim to. I think we all have biases in certain areas. And then how do they make you deviate your thought processes, your ways of thinking? As uh, Owen did, go and do some work deeply with uh, Jared Tendler and looking at unconscious kind of thought patterns. But yeah, really understanding what biases you fall victim to. Most of us fall victim to confirmation bias to some degree, outcome bias in terms of looking at results in the short term. Short term gratification is another bias that is very strong in the human psyche. So uh, understanding them, this book called Thinking in Systems, which goes into uh, the kind of overview of how the brain works on these biases, if you guys want to go deeper. But yeah, I think it's uh, definitely an important part of poker and understanding where you might be. Uh, and making biases that cause deviations. Hi guys, Renee aka The Wacko here with a quick Mechanics of Poker 2.0 announcement. In our program you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player. Now one of these of course is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. 
we'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your EV when those pots become very big. Our mindset and performance coach Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and how to continuously improve as a poker player. Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. So following from this, I want to talk about what you mentioned earlier on when you mentioned you had a big gap between your A game and your C game. Maybe some biases come up here. I'm sure a lot of players can relate to this, especially you exploit guys who uh, go for your big reads and spots. What are some of the challenges you experience when you have drifted to your A game? Sorry, your C game. When you've noticed you've dropped off your A, a game, what are some of the challenges you experience? Uh, so one of the one of the main things. Um was trying to a game too hard because I think uh, like my a game is like, you know, I have like, I have plenty of theory, but there's also plenty of creativity, you know, it's going hand in hand. I'm not trying to force anything. Um, and then slip down to B game, maybe like, you know, a little bit low energy for some reason, I'm not competing as hard. Um, but then it's like, and then you start like, maybe you start running a bit badly uh and then there's a desire or, or like make a mistake because i'm on b game and i miss something which i know i'm capable of seeing um and then and so then there's a desire to make up for that mistake um and to make a good play to outweigh the bad one but that doesn't necessarily mean that a good spot is going to come up there might be plenty of spots coming up where you just have to play properly like <laughs> like there is no you know, there is no insane, like, bluff for you to run here. There's no, like, hero call. Like, like you know, like, th this is, like, you just have to, like, you, you just have to play accurately for a bit and, like, wait patiently. But, like, when, when I've been in that mindset of, like, oh, I, I've made a mistake, I need to, like, prove to myself that I'm a good player, again, by making a good play. Um, I, was, I was talking to Jared about this, and, and, like, the thing which he pointed out to me was that, um, you don't prove you're a good player by doing something high variance on it going right. Because even if you take this high variance line and it goes right, like, you know, think about how do you feel after that when the line wasn't strictly accurate? You know, it doesn't feel satisfying, you just feel lucky. So then you just remain on tilt. So it's like I'm I'm taking on this variance as an attempt to solve my tilt, like unconsciously, without realizing that. 
Uh, and then like I take it on and it's it's like high variance minus EV. And then even if it goes right, uh, it doesn't it doesn't fix anything. The way to fix it is actually by by playing well, um, which is you know easier said than done. But like you know having having an awareness that I'm in that state where like I need to like play solidly and I need like a higher degree of certainty than normal to get out of line because I'm not in I'm not in the sharpest mindset. Whereas like there are you know there are other times where you can be feeling really sharp and like. Poker feels so fun like that when it's just all so fluid, like like it's you know all all of these ideas are coming to me, like they seem so great, like they're all they're all working out, um, and it's like you know it's like the you know wanting to be in that state because that is where I'm having the most fun. It's also where I'm making the most money. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you can you can just play like that just by telling yourself to. Sometimes sometimes you need to play like a bit more solidly, and then oftentimes what I found is like if I if I just play solid, like really focus on playing the theory for a little bit, just making sure everything, I've got everything like, you know, in that, in that way, fine. Like for a little bit, I am just here to stack the fish. Um, and then it's like the spot will just come up organically and I notice it. And then suddenly it's like, oh, like I'm, you know, I can feel myself sharpening up again um, instead of, instead of trying to force it. Yeah, I think that process you went through was very important and it was noticing that you were trying too hard when you're in your C game to almost prove yourself back to your A game and that trying too hard is even creating more and more errors in your strategy. So understanding that urge to want to try hard and then protecting yourself against it. So in terms of like practically in game, you mentioned like just playing solid for a period of time. When let's say you've spotted it, let's say you've become more aware of it in game and you've noticed you're in your C game, you want to do some fancy plays and run some high variance lines. What are some of the kind of maybe thought patterns you use or specific things you do to remind yourself not to uh, to take on these high variance approaches? Um, well, well, the thing is, if, if you're playing good players, there are still spots where you're going to have to do something high variance. But what I like, I, I just start removing deviations because because I can't be confident that the reason I'm deviating uh, is a good one rather than an emotional one. For instance, uh, when I was playing Doug, at the end of day one, there was um, there was a spot where like okay, there, there were two spots. One where I was thinking about running a bluff, and one where I was thinking about um, hero calling. And both of them, I knew my hand wasn't supposed to bluff or wasn't supposed to hero. But like, I knew it was like really, really close. Like these hands were, um, but like I knew I knew they weren't supposed to take this line. Uh, and I was like, I was a bit tired. I was like a little bit winners tilted, actually, <laughs> where, you know, I, I just, uh, and, and I couldn't really be sure if I just wanted to take on more variants because it had been going so well for me, all of these like high variant spots, they'd all gone my way so far. Uh, and so like, because I couldn't make that distinction, I was just like, okay, we're just gonna settle on the theory, the theory approach here. Like I know, um, so like I was tank I was tanking for ages just you know because it's live you don't you know you don't have a time bank at least in that setting so I, I had plenty of time to work it out and I was just like I I couldn't be confident that this was an emotional decision over a rational one so I was like okay we're just gonna settle on like what I know is purely rational because I I know I know what the solver response is here so I don't need to get out of line unfortunately in both cases I was wrong like uh, <laughs> it was a bluff which if I if I had run it I would have got it through and like uh, it was a spot where I had a chance to hear a call where he was bluffing um so <laughs> kind of a shame but i also like i was also kind of proud of myself of how the thought process works that it was like you know in a high stress high emotion environment like i sort of had the instincts going on but i also had like the wherewithal to 
to you know rein them in and still play still play in a way which i was like confident in yeah i think it goes back to what you were talking about earlier from a strategic point of view isolating important factors and when you're emotionally compromised that's an important factor that plays into your reads plays into your ability to uh, almost play this exploitative intuitive game so if you can spot that it's almost like you've created like a bit of safety rails go right in this moment my confidence levels have dropped. I can't be sure if my read's accurate or if it's emotional. I'm going to play it safe and rely on a theory-based model. I've heard Rennie mention this, that um, GTO theory generally gives you a safety net that kind of catches you at your B game on your way down to your C game, which I really like the analogy of. So yeah, for you in those moments, even though you're a very intuitive player, you can rely on more of a kind of solid foundation in those moments, knowing that you're potentially uh, missing important factors or you're in a compromised state, which I think is very practical. Obviously hard to do in practice because obviously emotions get heightened and high stress. So it's good that you've been able to uh, yeah, use that in the tables rather than just a conceptual model. Yeah. You mentioned, which I thought was really interesting, I'm curious to know more about, uh, that building mathematical proofs has really helped you to make abstract decisions at the poker tables or understand abstract decision making. Can you explain to myself and the listeners what mathematical proofs are and how they help with the poker decision-making process? So, so like, um, like I studied a bit of formal logic as part of like my philosophy degree, and like I also did a maths degree, which I dropped out of beforehand. Um, <laughs> but like, when you when you have to write proofs or do like um, like formal logic, it's um, like you're still you're distilling things down to like if-then statements uh and then you know listing listing like strict exceptions um rather than um yeah and so and so it like allows you to allows you to build like design a thought process um more so than like having a having a jumble of, of things you can you can say like okay this is the first factor i want to consider if it leans this way then i you know, then I go down this list of exceptions. Um, and, and yeah, it's kind of, uh, it makes for like a nice ordered thought process rather than like having things, uh, having things chaotically. Um, I think as well, you can, um, you know, I mean, it comes back to like all the like mixes are just options in the game tree. And it's like, um, I, I use the term free roll a lot when I'm talking to people for things which really aren't free. It's like running a huge bluff. Um, but like sometimes, sometimes if you have like, so say there's like five factors in favor or like five factors against, I mean, this can go the opposite way. You know, it doesn't always have to be running the buff. I swear sometimes I give up, <laughs> but like, but like you have like five factors in favor, five factors against, and then you're like, well, like I know that all the factors in favor of running this bluff hold. And then like four of them against and then it's like, and then it's like you've got this last one where it's like, where it's like, okay, like maybe this is true, maybe this isn't. And it's like, oh, if it's true, well, you know, I just like, I didn't lose any EV. It's still a zero EV play. Um, and then, but it's like, so, so you're like, you have this sort of average of, you know, this average play you're playing against. Like half the time, half the time it's a zero EV decision, and then half the time it makes a few big blinds. Um, and so then you don't have to you don't have to make this like really strict um you don't have to make this like really strict uh like model of like exactly what someone knows as well which helps with the uncertainty in poker because i think a lot of the time when i um when i talk to uh like mistakes players and they're always concerned by exactly what their opponents are doing 
uh and it's like well you can still use these like you can use these like weightings and like probability like probability models of like not just you know within the setting of poker but you can like assign probabilities to what people know uh and like that has um you know that that has an impact on ed and or, you know you can fine tune these especially in a heads up environment people will give you like lots more information about what they do and don't know very very quickly um and I think like lots of people like, you know, get a bit lost in the search for search for certainty and forget that you can like you can model something somewhere between zero and 100 percent. And it still has like a tangible effect on EV. Um, and, and yeah, if you say like this action is like equal or greater than EV to the other one, well, that's like, well, like obviously we should be taking it like even if it's equal, like who cares? Um, and yeah, I think I think that's something people can get their lost in. Like they only want to deviate for like certain gain, rather than if you take like a load of small deviations which have like like you know some potential gain, but then you add up those like probabilities together, and like suddenly like enough of them went right that um enough of these free rolls uh went right that you've uh, that you've built up a win rate. Mm. So I've got this correctly. The kind of building mathematical proofs is almost like creating a hypothesis of a kind of strategy or something to do, and then you stress test that in different scenarios and see if it kind of holds true with different kind of uh, circumstances. And if there's a trend towards if if more of this, then you do it more frequently. And it doesn't need perfection. It's more like a weighting system where if you stress test it enough, it would create um, some sort of certainty or at least some sort of confidence. Is that roughly uh, how it equates? Yeah, or did I, yeah. yeah. And also, you can. I mean. Like, like you you can do this stuff uh, like you know it, it comes back to like prodding people with these with these lines like you can um like sometimes you can take like you can go into the you can go into these spots just with like the the idea of information gathering as well it's like okay well i don't know if this line is good well i'm gonna need to run it <laughs> i'm gonna need to run it and see how it goes maybe not even you know maybe you need a read on how the population plays it maybe you want to know how, exactly how this person plays it like you don't need to um like you you can sort of like like the yeah the, the information has value as well mm. so how would a player use this to build a strategy let's say they're trying to prod the opposition to see if they know the counter strategy to what they're doing how can they start to uh from almost like first principles, think about how to uh, build their strategy or think through an example. Is anything that comes to mind in terms of a poker example we could use to run through this this frame of thinking? Uh, well, one thing you need to know is like um, like information uh, like information rich showdowns. Um, like there sometimes you know someone showdowns gonna give nothing away. Um, sometimes, like a lot of times, showdowns will give something away about how someone thinks about poker, and then, you know, if you if you know if you know what showdowns are relevant, um, like which one which ones you need to look out for, uh, and then you can also like extrapolate that to other things. Like if you have a good idea of like, okay, this isn't supposed to happen, what is like the key reason why it doesn't happen? uh and then it's like okay so they there's like a high probability that they don't know that, that they don't have this piece of knowledge uh and then you can start cross-referencing that um are there like other spots in the game tree where you're seeing a similar mistake uh and then you can build up this confidence that this is going to be a consistent mistake that they're often gonna um, they're often gonna make i like that it's almost like run experiments i was picturing yeah. Renee's example when he mentioned like if they didn't three bet preflop he thought you would raise range and position and the counter attack was kind of the, the 
the out of position player to donk the flop high range. So Rennie could run that experiment and go, okay, do they combat this with a high donk on the turn? Okay, they don't. There's a good chance they don't know this kind of uh, part of the game tree. But yeah, I think it goes to, uh, it links a lot of the ideas you, you were saying earlier about that chess court of taking people into the woods and like being the only one out. Like taking the game tree in areas and seeing, do people know the adaptation here? And run those experiments like that you said, which have a high certainty, if they don't take this action, there's a good chance there's a gap in their knowledge there. I get lots of information for this small little experiment that I'm playing. Things very interesting. Could lead to a lot of thought process for players watching this. So yeah, I think it's a very interesting avenue. I want to ch uh, change the conversation a little bit towards life design. And you mentioned how it's important to design your lifestyle in alignment with your goals and your values, and then trending towards a place of happiness. This is in the questionnaire you did for us. Yeah. So in yeah. terms of how you go about the process of that, how do you uh, prioritize your goals and align them with your values? What are some of the things you've done to, uh, to get some clarity on this? Um, <laughs> so every now and then, uh, I take a bunch of psychedelics to think about life. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I mean, like, yeah, there was one time when I was in uni, and I first time taking any psychedelics, and I was thinking about like, okay, so what are the sort of abstract things that are important to me? Um, I was like, well, you know, like, there's obviously like, so so I basically like boiled it down to like, you know, uh, time with my friends and family, uh, and then like aesthetic pleasures like music and fashion and then competing uh and so those were like the three sort of main things where i was just like if you know if i got to do all those or like not necessarily competing with with other people but sort of like competing with myself like there, there's like a um there's a socrates quote where it's saying like uh it's a oh i'm gonna completely butcher it but like it, it it's about like um it's a shame for a man not to have seen his body at his peak and like he's talking about like I think I mean allegedly talking about athleticism, which is why all the statues of him he's like ripped and has massive abs. But um, but like you know I think as well like you know in terms of like it's a shame not to see you know not to see your potential. Uh, and so like yeah I look uh, I looked across like those three things and I was like these are the three areas of my life that I like need to satisfy in order to be yeah in, in order to be happy. Like if any if any of these fall short, then I'm gonna you know, in, in some way feel, uh, in some way feel a bit lost. And like, you know, it's not like I'm doing it always perfectly, but whenever I'm, whenever I'm feeling a bit unsatisfied with things, it usually comes back to like, you know, there's one aspect of that, that I'm like, you know, that I'm not, that I'm not catering to in some way. And so like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's so important to, uh, align our lives with the things that we value most. And most of us have three to five real core buckets of values. We could subdivide those if we wanted to, uh, I remember at the start of this conversation, you you mentioned the poker pursuit was a little bit around almost fulfilling your potential that you did in the chess, which goes in this kind of competition area. And that's one of those yeah, things that where if we ignore these like real intrinsic drives of what we want to do and what motivates us to take action, you mentioned how you're always motivated to play poker. If we ignore things that are really important, like whether you take psychedelics to figure this out or you sit and contemplate or you do reflecting on the things you value most, when you understand which, which of the things matter to me most and how do I create a life on average in alignment with those things, I think it creates a much more, like you said, trending towards happiness, great terminology. Yeah. Uh, that's what we want to be trending towards happiness. So for you, uh, what are some of the things you need to be uh, doing on a regular basis or how do you uh, create alignment with those uh, values? What are some of the things that are important to you on a daily, weekly, yearly basis to, to, to live in alignment? I think honestly, right, like right now it feels pretty blessed because I have like a, I have like a lot of free time to go see my friends 
and like you know I don't really have many expenses because I'm like a young guy I don't really have any dependents or anything so like you know if I want some clothes or like whatever if I want to you know if I want to just spend the day chilling like listening to like music or watching films like I can so I feel like I'm <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of living my dream right now to be honest like I feel I feel like I don't have to yeah I don't have to work too hard like in the past I've had times where I've got like I got like too lost in the competitiveness side of things and then like I think like the burnout comes from when like the competitiveness is unfulfilled but like I'm also like you know so driven to correct that side that like the rest of my life starts like you know slipping like I you know I neglect seeing friends and like I'm I, I like wasn't doing things like other than poker and then like when that balance starts to slip it's like yeah I mean, I mean yeah it's, it's obviously difficult but I think I think it's like right now it sort of feels like as long as I'm yeah as long as I take away from the things other than poker like poker just takes care of itself um, like mm -hmm. I like yeah I just make sure like yeah make, make sure I'm like relaxing and staying away from the table and then it's like effortless to get back to it for me to be honest mm. yeah I like that when you said when you take care of the things away from the tables the poker things take care of themselves and I'm trying to think of a way to relate this to some players who maybe struggle with this because I've, I've had conversations especially young players who are ambitious and let's say for you you've got obviously a lot of success and you're happy with where you're poker wise but let's say you didn't let's say you had a chip on your shoulder and you haven't quite hit that competitive edge for yourself you haven't quite ticked the box of I've, I've achieved something and you know there's kind of other factors that are like relationships uh, balancing your lifestyle that matter but the the competi competition and the need to get some validation through what you're doing becomes very strong and how how would you, if that was you or if you've experienced this, how do you think you can go about trying to uh, see the kind of clearer lens that, as you said, like taking care of the other things will help with the poker pursuit? How do you, any advice for players who may be struggling with getting that balance and are maybe too drawn towards the competition or achievement? I think um, one thing that was really helpful for me was sort of changing uh, like the success that I was striving for um, on a day-to-day -day basis, because I think, uh, something which I felt a lot of pressure about was like you know I like I like I want to be like the number one guy and so then it feels like you know that can be like an eternally unfulfilling thing right like only one guy gets to be the number one guy like there's no guarantee you make it like uh, I mean I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm on like a good trajectory but like you know I, d I, I don't know if I'm gonna make it there or not so um and also you obviously you can't do it in a day um so the way uh the way I started thinking about it instead was like my goal for like the competitive side of things was I wanted to like play like the best possible version of myself for like some amount of time and like I, I wasn't trying to like like I was basically like ended up cutting off that time at the end of sessions where like you're like really pushing yourself to burn out where like you're playing when you're like too tired and you're like not on a high win rate um, so like it's not even it's not even making that much in terms of hourly uh, and I was yeah I started thinking about that and I was like well this is this time is unsatisfying to me it goes wrong more often um, and it's interfering with my ability to you know to live the rest of my life the way I wanted to um, so then like for a while like I cut it down like really extremely I was just like my goal is to play like like maximum three hours, but to just play like three hours where like I executed as well as I possibly could for three hours on a day. And then I was like banned from playing for the rest of the day. Um, mm. <laughs> that didn't really work for very long because when I started doing that, I was like, oh, I'm playing like so well in this time that it's like so satisfying. Like I don't feel like exhausted at all. And so now like 
I usually like, you know, I have like five hours where like I'm like trying to, you know, compete as like hard as I can. And then like, you know, there's like some like maybe like one to three hours of studying and then like that that's like an eight hour work day and then like the rest of the time like you know very relaxed like do whatever takes my fancy like hang out with friends like um but yeah it's more it's more about just like just playing like these short like really like you know really rewarding amounts of time rather than just like grinding until we reach the goal um like yeah yeah just recognizing that like, the goal will happen like piece by piece uh, rather than in in one big swoop, uh, which which yeah you're you're not even making progress. Here. You know yeah, it's saying like those last two hours, it's like you're not learning anything. Like you know, I'm not trying to train my autopilot. I'm not trying to become like a massive multi tabler. I'm trying to like I'm trying to in increase like the ceiling at which I play. Um, mm. So so yeah, it was just uh, it was just pointless anyway. So I decided to just get rid of it. Yeah, I think the bigger your goal and the more kind of long term the goal, the more you need to break it down or reframe it into small wins and kind of process driven actions. So if you think of your goal to be the best player in the world, like that's a long path to, to misery. <laughs> if you hold yourself to the standard, I only win if that is true. Like everything else is a fail on the way to that standard. You can see very quickly how that's going to lead to a very unfulfilling pursuit of that goal. However, if you can break it down into winnable days, winnable moments, action steps you can take on a regular basis to get you to that goal, I think especially for big goals, it becomes much more important. I think there's, there's definitely space for having deadlines towards smaller goals, especially ones that you have more control over. But especially when it's like a, a huge goal that you're aiming towards like becoming the best version of yourself, I do think like the breaking it down into uh, winnable days and winnable things to do makes a lot of sense. In terms of tracking, like in terms of how you uh, know you're winning, I think it's really interesting that often success is this kind of loose term, let's be successful, but it means different things to different people. For yourself, what are the main things you need to do right now at the moment on a regular basis, let's say daily or weekly, to win your days? I think we need to almost all set up and take a scorecard for ourselves that we decide these things matter the most. I will do these things regularly. If I do, I'm winning my days, winning my weeks. Anything that you've got on your, your list that's important for you? Well, I mean, like, you know, from a professional perspective, as long as I'm a better player at the end of the week than I started it, it was a good week. How do you quantify that? Um, yeah, just uh, like, like, well, it, it can either come from adding like bits of theory or just like, or just working on my execution. Like it doesn't even have to be huge progress. Like as long as you're like, you know, inching it forward. Um, and I have so much stuff to study, you know, like I'm trying to play two different formats right now. Um, like, yeah, it, it's really easy for me to find new stuff that like, uh, that like either I haven't worked on in a while or like, you know, I mean, the heads up game tree is small, but like everyone who plays heads up knows it really well because, because it's small. So like, there's like lots of room for the nuances. And then like the six max game tree by comparison is vast. So like, there's always, there's always new stuff that I can be working on um like you know even just like emotional things um like making sure my execution doesn't slip um but yeah i was playing someone uh heads up yesterday when when the game broke and i've been like i've been tilted because like because like i think like the fish had stacked me and then like donated it to someone else and i was just watching the money go and i was like frustrated um it's like a pretty yeah i'm pretty sure it's like a pretty good player who i was playing but like i I think I got back to a game within like really quick time for me. Like usually it can be like a bit of a struggle, but like, I think I got back to it in like two minutes. I felt like so satisfied I was playing. And so that was like, 
you know, obviously that's not something which you work on in the lab. It's something which you have to train at the table when you're having those moments that you're struggling. But like, yeah, that, that's the kind of thing which gives me like immense satisfaction. Um, and then, yeah, just trying trying to trying to stay away from using the results to judge. Like, um, mm -hmm. like I had like a shit day of it yesterday, but I was also like, you know, immediately when you have a shit day, it's very, uh, like, uh, very motivating to go review it. And then I went and reviewed it and I was just like, okay, like there were definitely, uh, <laughs> there are definitely some hands there where I'm like, bit uh like they're kind of debatable but like even if it was a mistake like I, i'm not like you know i think i think these things are, are like really close and then, and then as long as i'm as long as i'm satisfied with my execution it's uh it's good and then i i mean just like from personal point of view i mean like just making sure that making sure that i'm not letting friendships dwindle i feel like i'm more of a like quality over quantity guy you know like there are people who you know, there are people who i i, I like have like a really good time with and have like a really good bond with and just making sure that like you i don't let these things decay by getting too too um distracted on the other stuff um and yeah yeah that's all uh as long as, long, as, long as i as long as i keep those things in order like the, <laughs> yeah the, the other things just uh sort of happen you know uh mm. <laughs> sticking a film on isn't something i really need to think about or like you know that's uh <laughs> that mm. uh, that that side of things like is uh yeah, that, that sort of thing. And like listening to music, I mean, it's like, it's like, it, I feel like it's a <laughs> simple pleasures, you know, it's not like mm -hmm. I have, a, I have something incredibly complex that I need to do to it to enjoy my time off. So in, mm -hmm. in that way, I'm blessed. Yeah, I think for you, the main thing is like trending towards like progression, making growth, making improvements overall to get to your bigger goal. And as long as you're feeling that there's things you're working on, you're improving, you're seeing your execution getting better, you're patient, you're on the process and you're going that direction. I think, like you said, players and a lot of people struggle with using results as the kind of metric to judge, am I moving forwards? If they have a great winning week, they're like, yes, yeah, I'm yeah. doing great. They have a bad month or so, and all of a sudden they feel like they're moving forwards. So yeah, I think creating your own scorecard of what things actually matter, like the emotional example was a great one to uh, return from a tilted state back to high performance quickly. Good sign that you're yeah, improving your time spent in your A game, which is a big factor towards your success. So in terms I mean, of it's, what... it's easy to say results don't matter because I'm running well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like <laughs> if I'd had a worse year, maybe I, you know, like they become more in the forefront. But uh, so mm. it's, it's like <laughs> I feel like it's you know don't don't take advice from people who are uh, <laughs> who are who are like living it a bit too lucky right now. Yeah, very true. I think the best time to work on your relationship results is during downswings, during tough times. Yeah. I think a lot of players during like purple patches of their career when everything's going well. They like, oh yeah, no more tilt issues. Yes, all my emotions are gone. Yeah, all my, yeah, yeah. all my troubles, <laughs> the leaks are gone. And then they yeah, go to downswing. They're like, wait a minute, what's where are all these coming from? If I lose I think like so six binds, it's like you know, I like, yeah, I lost six binds yesterday, but it's like you know, it's like wow, I I was sitting there like, oh, I haven't lost six binds in a day in a while. Like <laughs> we would do, you know, it's easy to brush it off. If you lose six binds for the fifth day in a row, like okay, I get it. Like now it's like, yeah, and that's obviously like a very different, uh, very different place to be. Yeah. What would you say is the most important lesson that poker has taught you that you didn't expect coming in? Um, I'd say like not to be like fickle. Uh, and I, yeah, like kind of, kind of like results oriented, I guess. But like, I mean, it's just uh, it's like listening to listening to my friends talk about sport, uh, and it's like. I'm just like I'm just keenly aware of how much variance has gone into, you know, the things that they're basing their opinion on, on someone, um, and 
and I feel like it's you know cutting through that is obviously like is obviously really hard because it's like you know I, I I've had like millions of hands at this point to do it um and just being like and, and like and like even then it's like it's like your brain wants to see patterns in things which are sometimes just random um but i think like having that practice is so good i think it's like kind of a stereotypical answer but i i like for for a reason i would say um because like yeah very few people in life go through that sort of like uh go through that experience i remember seeing something where it's like um you know if if you look at like if you look at like when people apply to jobs with like a small applicant pool uh and then you just add like a small like luck element and then it's like you add like a small luck element and then like almost universally everyone who anyone who gets the job is like in the top percentile for luck uh it's like even even if there's like you know there's hundreds of applicants and like yeah it's like they're gonna be like some of the high achievers but it's like you can't you can't get it without the luck and then like not taking these sort of things you know like understanding that like sometimes in life like sometimes in life like you haven't fucked up um you know it, like yeah just uh yeah, it doesn't it doesn't mean like absolving yourself of, of all personal accountability. But yeah, I, I guess that's like a nice sort of flip side to it. Um, so, you know, the, it teaches you a weighting of um, like, okay, like, you know, actually assessing what do I need to take personal accountability for and what was beyond my control um, so that you can so that you can be more more objective about things, because like, obviously you're practicing it in like a very theoretical like this sort of like you know, abstract maths heavy environment, but just having that attitude of being like, okay, it's fine for some things to be beyond my control, but those things which are in my control, even if they're like limited, like I like it's up to me to go out and control them. Mm. Very good stoic principles there on controllable variables <laughs> and splitting life into uh, what you do control. Yeah, I do feel like most people who aren't experienced with a game like poker or dealing with probabilities don't understand how extreme probabilities look in all scenarios and like you said like watching people debate things that have got high variance or high degree of luck involved and thinking they're experts in that degree in that kind of field or that they've got some information when generally it's a really small sample size so much variance and yeah you've got very little kind of skills i realize i'm efficient almost every debate i'm in really because i've got no data yeah. points and there's so much variance <laughs> in it but then at the same time also uh, not being like defeatist from that and also coming back wait a second i do control certain nodes I do control certain inputs I do control certain parts of it how can I pay more attention to those things what's understanding there's a lot of things outside my control it's like being a poker player and trying to reach high stakes there's so many things that you can do to help your career to move forward to learn but then you go to play high stakes poker and you're playing so much variance in the short term that you can't control that part of it so I think it's a empowering mindset to remind yourself of those uh, kind of controllable variables yeah when and and like when you know, when so much of what you do is defined by luck, you know, like within any one day, like your results have basically nothing to do with your skill, like whether you're up or down. Um, it, it gives you more of an appreciation for what you can control. Um, like, you know, even if even if what you can control is small, like you have this evidence that it adds up. Uh, like you're you're like shown this all the time whenever you zoom out on the graph and you stop thinking about like the past week and you start looking at the past year um and so then yeah seeing that like in life even if there are things beyond your control it's like okay well like like what part of this situation like what part of the situation is up to me and then i'll focus on that and i'll, I'll, I'll like make you know i'll make the best of it even if it's even if it's ultimately gonna fall on something which i can't i can't handle 
Yeah, it's almost like look, like fortune favors the brave sort of thing. Like luck will find you when you're doing the right things often enough. I remember Tim Ferriss, who's got one of the most popular podcasts, and it's well, one point his podcast was probably more popular than Joe Rogan's. And someone was asking, how did you get such a successful podcast? And his response was, I got lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. And then he kind of doubled down going, I was producing a really good podcast for a long time, having really good guests, but I got lucky that things unfolded, that I got a lot of traction at the right time. I did my part, but then the reason I'm as big as I am is because of other factors as well. So I think it's, it's always good to uh, know when you're, what, what you input, what we impact, sorry, and not getting confirmation bias when you're generally having success. If you look at, if we interviewed every high stakes player right now, I'm sure there's a element of luck that went into a lot of their journeys, but at the same time, there's a lot of things they did right. A lot of kind of, success habits that would be whole true amongst them all. So kind of understand the interplay and, and yeah, when you work in a occupation that relies on a lot of variance or has a lot of variance, you've got to be very uh, realistic with what, what you control and what you're doing. Yeah, that, that was, um, that was actually something which weirdly attracted me to poker because I remember feeling like a bit lost in a sense of like, I really didn't want to go into an office job, but I wasn't sure where exactly I wanted to go. Uh, and I did, I like, I had other interests as well that I was thinking of pursuing. Like, I like, I enjoyed the idea of like writing, whether it was like poetry or screen or screenwriting, like screenplays, maybe scripts. But, but, but anyway, yeah, I, I hadn't really nailed it down. I just enjoyed doing drama in school and like creative writing as well. Um, but like, <laughs> one thing which really scared me was like, I felt like the luck element in those fields was so, so high. Because uh, I was like, you could have this amazing idea and like, you could just like, like, oh, just as you're about to show it to people, someone else basically does the same thing. And it's like, oh, well, no one's looking for this script anymore. Or like, and, and then you have to like start again, or like you show it to like the wrong people who aren't a fan, or, like maybe they get the right to your thing, but then like they never put it in production or something like that. Like I hear about like all these things um, and, and and it's just like, and that idea that like you could do everything right or like um like plenty of plenty of writers are like you know only appreciated like after they die and like i was just like <laughs> you know okay okay like you're supposed to do something for the love of the art but i was also just like i would kind of like to i would kind of like to enjoy some of that success myself um and so like that idea was like um kind of scary to me and then like saying like poker i was just like okay like there is this there's this intense element of luck when you like, you know, zoom in, but when you zoom out, I feel like it's saying where like, if you put the work in, um, if you put the work in and you're like motivated, uh, you're like most likely to reap, to reap the rewards, like real life can like rear its ugly head. And like, I know that happens. Um, like I remember like Yuri telling me that like when most people quit poker, it's only kind of about the poker like they have a downswing which coincides with something going really wrong in their life and then like the downswing is just like too much to handle that's too much emotional stress so they do something more stable but like you know like it's say like if you're if you're just about like if you manage to like go free uh be free from that it's like you you can only get so unlucky for so long you know like like yeah you'd laugh at like people if, if they're playing five and l and saying oh the reason i can't play high stakes is because my aces always get cracked Right. Like, it's, you know, it's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, it's clearly about like your knowledge and understanding of the game. And that will always win out in the long run, mm -hmm. um, which, yeah, I think I think was like yeah, really motivating for me to to go into this sort of like almost like objective test. Right. Like I didn't have to, you know, it's not opinion based. You're either like you're either good or you're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard Alex Amosi say uh, volume beats luck in almost everything. And if you think about any pursuit you're on, 
volume, putting in reps, being consistent for long enough, almost always overrides luck. And yeah, it was interesting thinking about other pursuits that are different to poker, because some people think poker is super high variance, lots of luck involved. But I think in other pursuits, like you mentioned, being an author or going into a creative, it's unquantifiable. The variance is completely unquantifiable. And there's so many factors that you can't think of. Whereas poker, it's all on the table. The feedback loop's there, there's quantifiable amounts of variance, there's calculations that calculate variance. You can see your EV in spots, you can look at solvers. You can pretty much quantify how much variance plays a role in, to certain degrees. And then you get a feedback loop to, to improve and get better as well. So I think it creates a dynamic where the rules of the game are obvious, the factors in play are obvious. My skill is gonna be the biggest driver. Variance, I've got to negate in the short term. All right, let's play, let's see if I figure it out. So yeah, creates a nice progression to, uh, to move forward. How about for yourself, Rene? What attracted you originally to poker and what keeps you interested? Uh, you're muted, I think. What attracted me initially to poker? I mean, I kind of rolled into it, but mainly I started to get more intrigued in poker when I started to learn a bit more about strategy, put that strategy into play and actually saw like, hey, wait, if I do this, you do that. Oh, cool. So I sort of have like this sense of control over what's actually going on at the table. And then mainly like the strategic aspect that came with it. Like I'm, I'm definitely in it for, for the game itself, for sure. And how do I continue to stay motivated or continue to have interest is basically I need, I need input. I need novelty. If I remove that, then it becomes uh, very difficult. Like if, if, if poker starts to feel like a grind and there I'm just executing, I mean, there's a reason why I, for example, also do other things, right? Coaching. We do this podcast. I'm always trying to growth. We talked about values. Growth is definitely one of my values. And also one of the reasons why I transitioned away from playing full time and transitioned to coaching and have tried, I tried Twitch and we're doing this podcast because I feel like if you put yourself in different environments, that's when you start growing. And also that's when other opportunities will arise that allow you to grow even further. And I, I remember at some point I was like, like just day in, day out going to my office and grinding. I was like, I don't know. It, it felt like obviously you're growing as a player, but it felt like a very one dimensional growth. And I felt like if I would step out and try other things, I didn't know what would come on my path, right? I didn't know we would have this podcast, for example. But if I just kept on going to my office every day and grind, this would have probably not happened. And probably a couple of years from now, there will be other things that will have happened that would not have happened if I kept on just grinding. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, little, it's a little bit of both. Some of my satisfaction I can get in, in poker, but many of well actually outside of poker, which is also actually one of the reasons why I transitioned a bit more away from uh, from grinding full time. But yeah, it was really interesting listening to the conversation that you guys had. Definitely. I think we had someone on that pointed this out as well. I, I don't recall exactly the guess, but he also said, actually in poker, there's not so much variance if you compare it to, and I think he compared it to sports, like take, for example, football. No. The World Cup only comes once every four years. And then you have to be very fucking lucky to get to the final. And then everything has to fall right for you to win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, winning the World Cup, it's quite hard. There's a lot of variance involved. And the yeah, biggest problem is, yeah, you only get to try once every four years. At least with poker, you know, we can go back tomorrow and grind again. I guess it's a yeah, bit different. Let's say, for when, example, um, thinking the main event would be a bit like World Cup, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just like, you know, when, I mean, one of those conversations about sports would be like, oh, is Messi the greatest of all time? And it'd be like, oh, but like, you know, he's won everything, but he hadn't won the World Cup. 
And so everyone's just yeah, like, well, like, he, yeah, he had it once. He was unlucky. It's like, <laughs> like, I'm not, you know, you don't even have to say like anything about like, oh, but like, look at his teams. It's like, let's say that Messi was on like the best team every single time he got to the World Cup. He still like, you know, he still loses the vast majority of those times. Like, it's a knockout tournament. It's not, it's not a league. Like, even and if you look at the favorites, they're only favorites by what, 30%, 35% or something to win? And yeah, yeah. Also, you, you have, you have just... that variance and you have indeed the variance. So let's say, for example, take Haaland, right? Currently, Manchester City striker, one of the, arguably one of the better players right now. Yeah, he's a bit unlucky that he was born in Norway. So winning the World Cup is going to be very unlikely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if he does, it would be, uh, be a very nice feather in his cap, though. But yeah, I, I just remember, like, yeah, after Messi wins the World Cup, just like, now he is the greatest ever. And I was just yeah, saying, it's like, like, what the fuck? What? Did, did like did Linus become the greatest ever when he like won that Triton 200k? Oh no, he didn't even win. He came second. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so now he's no longer the greatest. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Linus isn't the greatest. Like I think it's Sam Squid one. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like when you're yeah when you're confronted with that all the time, it's uh, it becomes very. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly like, also like, what what, what you guys were talking about. How you learn a lot of skills in poker, and then if you go to real life. You see all the biases that people have. You see that people don't recognize a lot of variants, especially in, in, in football. I'm a, I'm a soccer, football, whoever, which country is watching will call it different. I'm a big fan. And then if you look at the post-match, where it's like, I'm very good at estimating like the variance that was involved in a football game, right? It's automatically, you're like, we played it's, it's shit, but so we won. So and then yeah. it's like, and then I had a company to say, yeah, you know, this is also a skill. You know, when you have not your day, but you can still pull out the win. I'm like, what the fuck are you trying to invent all these things? I'm like, no, you were just lucky or you were just unlucky. Do we have a problem? What's wrong with this team? I'm like, well, we, just, we you just got unlucky. You were clearly the better team. I, I think I think it is like... Is there a job to build narrative though? Yeah, you know, to make it drama. Like, like, do they actually believe it? Maybe they do. Maybe that's why they can play do. with such conviction. But yeah, yeah, I just can't. I just can't imagine thinking that stuff is like, you know, thinking that stuff is actually correct. It's just like, I mean, if you were if you were worse and you and you win, it's like how, like, <laughs> like the skill would have been playing better than the other team. Like, um... like I hope at least behind closed doors with the managers and the players, I hope the evaluation is done at a, a, a higher level, a more rational level. Another thing actually I want to point out in real life, two very important skills, I think. I think poker makes you very humble in terms of realizing oh, yeah. that there's so very. much stuff that you don't know, right? Because it's so complex. And you see in the people have very biased conversations over short-term variants and they're very strong opinion in the fact that they're right and then sometimes i'm observe, observing the conversation I'm like wow this is flawed on so many so many levels and also like the and then they double down on the fact that they think they're right based on very little information and then if the information is presented they are still not able to admit that they were wrong admitting that they're wrong or that they're flawed or that they made a mistake i think are all valuable skills that you teach as well in being a poker player that you don't see in real life yeah, I think I think the thing is as well, like if you, you know, if you if you don't have the ability to admit when you're wrong, poker's gonna give you so many excuses that it's just like it's just incredibly unlikely that you'll succeed. So it's sort of like self-selecting in a sense, because um, it's like there's so many there's so many things that you can you can blame it on. But if you don't if you don't have like 
the desire to actually find an objective evaluation of what you're doing. Like if you're content to be deluded, it'll let you. Um, I, I, yeah, like, like I mean, <laughs> it's hence why like people can go on like losing for years and like talk about how bad they run. Um, so yeah, I think I think like there might be like a bit of selection bias in a sense where it's like, did, did poker teach people that, or like, are you only successful about poker if you're only successful mm -hmm. with regard to poker if you were that way inclined? Um, but like, I, I mean, it definitely does reinforce it. But yeah, I think it's uh, it's like, yeah, why why do some people stay wrecks despite like you know they're passionate about the game, not like the strategy side, but like they obviously clearly really enjoy the game and they like maybe talk some hands, but like they never really improve them because like they're unwilling to you know, that I'm willing to take on new information. Another thing that, that, that I wrote down observing your story is I think a very big difference. You, you, you made it vocal, like you want to be number one, but, and then Adam pointed out, you have to break that down because else it's too overwhelming, but you seem, you come across and you've designed your life in a way like you come across as a very happy person. It's not like you need, it's not like there's this big black hole inside of you or inside of your life that has to be fulfilled and can only be fulfilled if you become the number one poker player, yeah. right? And I feel like that's usually where people start to struggle a lot. If on a day-to-day -day life, you're not happy with your life and you need to become number one in order to fulfill that, first of all, it actually becomes, it actually starts to work against you because you every time go through life in a state of lack, which quantum physics wise, you know, will not attract what you actually want. So that doesn't help. And you stress out and you're constantly hiding. Oh, I'm so unhappy. And then basically, yeah, it doesn't really happen. So I feel like the fact that you have constantly designed your life and just everyday experience a lot of happiness helps you to just continue on this pursuit because it costs less energy. It gives you, I think, a lot of energy as well. Well, yeah, I mean, like two things. Like one is I'd say like, it's easy to say this before I plateaued out. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. How, I don't know. Like, if if I if I like settle at some point and it's just like, well, being number one is off the cards. Like, maybe I'll find that distressing. Um, like, whilst I'm still whilst I'm still improving and like that's still reasonably on the cards. Like, you know, I'm not even saying it's necessarily likely. I could be like a big underdog, but it's like a possibility for me to work towards. No, so um, it's at least it is it is at least the attitude with which you like to live your poker career uh, approach your poker career correct yeah yeah that and is like, the most if, important if not, thing if not number one how high can i climb yeah like, exactly you know, and let, you will see, if you say i want to become number 100 it's unlikely that you become number 50 but if you say you want to become number one it's very more likely that you become number yeah. 50. and, then, and then the, the other side of it is just uh i have to thank my my friends who are telling me horror stories about what working in an office is like this makes me feel blessed every day you know yeah, or, or, or that you have to deal with people. Like, for example, my wife, she's a dentist and she deals with patients every day. And then I hear stories. <laughs> like, oh, luckily, I don't have to deal with people every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, like I get to, you know, like I'm, I'm working in a group, like, you know, I do like some coaching with people. And it's like, but it's like, it's very relaxing because it's just like, you know, it's just talking about what I'm passionate about to people who are similarly inclined. Like, um, you know, we're all like, we're all like, our goals are very aligned as well. Like we're all like trying to get better um, constantly. Like it's very like open environment. Um, so so yeah, like like uh, all, none of that stress is there. In fact, I would say, I'd say one one of the really nice things about Gorilla is um, like when I first came in, I remember I had like I, I had a few ideas which were like a bit off the wall about like how I wanted to play some spots. Uh, 
and they were like so open-minded about like not necessarily just like taking it all on and like tearing up their game plan instantly but like okay like how can we workshop this into something which actually increases our edge like and i was like i was like so nervous i was just like coming in here and like you know like I like looked up Duty's graph on like uh, Smart Hand or whatever, and I was just like, oh, what the fuck? Like, you know, <laughs> it's just like it's just like straight to the moon. Like, obviously, you know, I knew like Yuri had been like crushing for years on like these other games, and like you know, Brack and all these guys, but like they were just like, you know, that there, there was like like for guys who have like achieved so much, there was no there was no hint of ego at all. It was instantly like it was instantly like, oh, this seems like. You know this is really interesting let's uh like let's see let's see what we can let's see what we can make work like even if we have to like you know it wasn't it was, like even if they have to abandon it it was just like you know immediately like giving the time of day of just being like okay we're gonna we're gonna like see what we can see what we can get out of this um and then like yeah refining things into something which which obviously ended up like you know working much better for me rather than having to do this long slog on my own like instantly having these guys who could you know, take something which I'd <laughs> I'd like written like a paragraph of ideas on, and like you know, oftentimes Duty would just distill it down into one sentence. Like it would just be like <laughs> be like some new thing, but he'd just be like, oh, but like you know, you can just you can just have this simple if then sentence, and that like encapsulates this like really complex idea I was trying to get together. And, like that kind of like blew my mind a little, but yeah, like the the attitude was uh, was like it was like uh, like absolutely amazing. So inviting and welcoming. I f I feel like this is also what you get when you reach higher stakes like the egos are usually way bigger at lower stakes than at higher stakes and people are <laughs> way more open-minded because they've learned their lesson right they thought that they were right about something somewhere along their career and it turns out they were wrong right and i think the only way you can reach those levels and maintain at those levels especially i think maintaining is important is only by being open-minded by listening to people understanding that I can learn something from a 10 can player, but I can also definitely learn something from a 210 player, as you pointed out earlier. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I've had conversations with guys playing like lower stakes to me where they've like, they've just been like, you know, sometimes it, it, like I can feel that same tensiveness when like I went to talk to them and they'd just be like, hey, like you probably already know this, but and then they start talking about some cool thing. I was just like, wait, no, I've never seen this before. This is so cool. Like really, thank and then like, you know, digging into like digging into it for like a few hours. And then they're just like, you know, like so appreciative. They'll just be like, oh yeah, really thank you for talking about this. I was just like, why are you thanking me? Like you just showed me a cool new line. You just made me better at poker. Like, oh, it's good win-win. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. And uh, like just having that sort of, uh, you know how like being being a part of that sort of environment i feel like is is like great for my attitudes in a game because i never really feel like you know even if i am not sure what to work on there's always like always someone like going in some direction or like you know giving you like the the like springboard to go off on your own you mentioned that in order to succeed in poker in your opinion you need to be talented i was curious what kind of talented talents or like characteristics you need in order to succeed in poker and where do you think the ceiling is for player that yeah, don't don't possess these talents see i think i think yeah i think you made it difficult for me because it was just like which one triumphs talent or hard work and i was just like oh kind of both like <laughs> i mean it depends on what stake you want to get to though like if you want i think um i think like if you're like okay so so one talent is that your ability to work it um like one thing i've always said like well right from when i first started playing was that i have a talent in the sense that the work doesn't feel like work i don't have to like you know have a disciplined rigorous schedule 
to get in a lot of study hours. I just enjoy it. And I feel like that just gives me an immediate edge over all the people who have to drag themselves to looking at the solver. Um, I do think like there is like an upper bounding, which is sort of determined by talent, but like it obviously doesn't get you there. Like, especially in the land of solvers as well, there's a lot of room to get to, uh, to get to a certain level just by like grinding things out. Um, and I kind of, <laughs> I kind of have a lot of respect for that because it's just like, I, you know, I can't be the type of person who does like, you know, insane hours on like, you know, like grinding the precision things. I'm trying to, you know, I'm someone who like works more on my intuition. Um, like, you know, there, there are people who can do that. But like, yeah, again, I, I think that sort of falls under talent in a weird way. It's it, like, it, it's, it sounds kind of strange, but like, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, the, the like, if, if someone, if someone like lacks discipline, yeah, I guess, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, always, I'm always on the fence about this one. Like, like, I, I find it hard to say, because I've seen people who are like, they're clearly motivated, but they're not making, like, they're not making that much progress. But like, also, I'm not like, I'm not like intimately familiar with like how much work they're actually doing. Like, I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've seen plenty of people who talk a good game about like how passionate they are and how much they want to study. Um, and then it's like when it actually comes down to doing the work, like I've had people um, like back before I, I had people ask me to do coaching just privately. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do coaching. Um, Cause like, I, I, I just enjoy it. Um, and then It'd just be like, I'd be like asking them what they worked on in the past week. And it would basically be like, no, 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 the way they worked was like doing like a private session with me. Like I was supposed to like drag them to the top. And like these could be like smart guys, but, but like, yeah. So, so I think, I think it's like a bit of like, well, I mean, like the cliche is what is like, um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think, I think if someone's like generally like pretty decent at maths and like loves the game and is prepared to put in the hours, like they can definitely beat mid stakes. I just think that sometimes, sometimes, yeah, there, there's probably like, you know, it's just like, where do you draw the ceiling at like 500 an hour, like 1k, 2k, or like, can this person go to nosebleeds? Um, I think, yeah, like another side of talent as well is like, um, your ability to perform despite your emotions. Like I know some people who are like incredibly smart people. And like I've heard, can't remember who Doug mentioned, but like Doug mentioned some guy who's like an incredibly smart guy who he was saying like, he was like, oh, this guy's like way better at theory than me. But like this guy could never crack like the, like, you know, nosebleed high stakes heads up world. Um, because like, but because he just like struggled to struggle to perform in that environment. Like the, you know, the emotions would get too much, like almost instantly for him to, for him to execute well. And that, yeah, I think that is just, that is sort of a form of talent. Like if you work on it as, as much as you want and like, you know, you can't, you can't get yourself to, you can't get yourself to calm down, like shoving, like, you know, uh, like shoving your stack in at 40 K. Like, like if you can't, if you can't do that, like cold bloodedly, then like, obviously that puts a cap on like the, you know, how far you can take it. Yeah, I would definitely, I definitely agree with, especially the, the, the final point, like naturally some players will have less resistance towards risk, towards variance, towards losing, and therefore they will experience less emotions while playing and they just, their access towards the knowledge that they have was always close to a hundred percent and other people perform in a compromised state way easier. Like only a small thing has to happen and they get thrown off their A game, for example. Now, I do think, obviously, 
you can work on everything, but obviously it's a way more tiring process for one, where if the other one is naturally more talented to perform uh, at their best more frequently, yeah, then obviously that person will have an easier time. I don't think it's impossible for the other person. It kind of depends the severeness of the triggers and what's underneath and how much he's willing to go there and to resolve it. Um, but yeah, obviously talent does help. And I do, I do agree that if we talk about nosebleed, like there has to be something different than, than, yeah, than just your average person. Yeah. You need, you need to be able to pretend that this isn't a stupid amount of money that you're playing cards with. Like you need to, you need to be able to forget that. Um, it's kind of nice. Like when you're playing online and you can switch it into big blinds. Uh, <laughs> yeah that definitely also helps between yeah. stakes for anyone who doesn't play in big blinds like if you play stakes different stakes just switch everything to big blind yeah i mean it was definitely yeah it, it was weird like playing live and just like you know picking up a 5k chip and i was just like this doesn't like this feels silly like <laughs> this should be like they're big chips and all but like this should feel like like this should have more like heft to it like you know <laughs> you know. would just say i raise you to five thousand points yeah yeah i mean yeah it's kind of i don't know i like like yeah i i i felt like within like half an hour into the first day of playing that like i'd never played like 200 400 before but like the money was monopoly money to me like not obviously not like disrespecting it but you know like i was just like i was just playing a strategy game like i'd forgotten that it was like I'd yeah, just ammunition right for. yeah yeah i like um and then, yeah so it's like uh, and, and, and like, I don't know, I never had to work for that, you know, like that was just sort of uh, like one of my friends described me as like the only guy he knew who could play the World Series of Poker final table like it was play money, um, <laughs> which, uh, which, yeah, I think is a is like a pretty, uh, yeah, pretty nice, uh, like, like a pretty nice advantage and like leg up to have on people like, you know, it's, it's just something which I'm, I'm grateful for because like I didn't earn that right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's your words. Like, I'm sure, for example, I remember in the Sunny podcast, he came across really naturally talented as well. But I remember he did point out, like, listen, there's definitely a lot of things that I had to work on. People kind of just say, oh, you're, you're talented. No, I, I recognize these things. I've worked on these things. Now, the severeness to which someone has to work on might be different compared to the other. But I think there is also, like, the mentality uh maybe one person had to work on it a lot and kind of saw okay well apparently this is not for me and quit it and the other person kept on working on it and actually resolved it and therefore still made at least a decent poker career so yeah it's not it's it's partly also how you deal with the talents the talents that you've been given um yeah. okay, that's I, the thing with talent like it doesn't like you can you can get the knowledge eventually like if you grind it down long enough you can get like the knowledge I think like talent mostly affects your execution. Yeah, uh, I, I would, I would, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I want to uh, know from you. We're approaching the uh, the end of this conversation. What would you like the main takeaway to be the audience gets from the conversation we have today with you? Um, main takeaway. It's the most important lesson that you want to give the audience before we go. Most important lesson, uh, like don't um don't end up somewhere by accident like decide 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 where like you want to be in life and like get there get there incrementally like you don't you don't you don't have to get but like but like you, you don't have to you don't have to know like every decision you're going to make but have a have a sort of like 
sort of like macro macro goal which can like it makes it makes the it makes the smaller decisions feel easier right like um like like well well even 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 like big decisions you know you, if you can put big decisions in in the context of like okay well what direction do i want to head in what what direction do i want to head in overall you can uh, like rather than rather than living a life where like you're only you're only uh, happy coincidentally like be like be happy because you've gotten yourself to a place where that like where, where where you're going to be happy and like the way you do that is by like working out what that place looks like and you know get there slowly but it's it's worth getting there Adam, do you have any uh, final questions for Owen before we let him go? No, I thought that was great advice. I'd probably just add on a layer on top of that, saying once you decide where you want to be, decide who you need to be, you need to become to bridge that gap and that incremental improvements to bridge that gap between where you are now and where you want to be in the future, I think is the, the main thing. So yeah, really good. Thank you very much for your time, Owen. Great conversation. Yeah, no I look forward worries. to you listening back and we thank you. Yeah, I would, I would then add something to that as well. It's actually a question that I sometimes propose to people. I would be like, they, they, you know, I say, what if tomorrow, in this case, let's say tomorrow you would have to hop in a game with Owen, how would you prepare for that game and basically start to prepare for that, for your current games, like you would prepare if you would play against Owen? Because people usually say, oh, no, wow, but if I would be playing high stakes, I would be doing all these things or, uh, well, guess what? If you don't start doing all these things, you will not reach high stakes. So yeah, good yeah, reflection question for the, for the audience listening. That's a wrap. Another podcast full of wisdom. Adam, what are your main takeaways from the conversation we had today with Owen? I really liked Owen's mindset, his attitude, and his overall approach to poker and life. Uh, one of the things that was coming through to me was his big picture thinking of wanting to be the best player and the best he could be and reach his full potential and how that drives all his decision-making and his actions every day. He mentioned how he gets in touch with his values. He knows what those values are. He takes some psychedelics to, to get to the bottom of that, but understanding your values and living in alignment with those. And he mentioned something which I'll, I wrote down a few times, trending towards happiness. Make sure your daily actions and activities are trending towards happiness and make an incremental improvements towards your goals, which I think is really, really big for any poker player, not getting too results oriented and trying to uh, move towards your goals. He then mentioned a leak that he had, which he had to fix and which he's still working on. When he goes to a C game, which I think players can relate to, uh, he generally tries too hard. He almost like if it gets annoyed at himself for making mistakes and tries to almost force himself back to his A game. And he's realized that's a big leak of his that causes massive deviation in strategy, which are unnecessary. So he's got to really watch that kind of state change. And when he notices that he's in a compromised state to create some kind of safety rails to make sure that he doesn't yeah, make unnecessary mistakes in those moments. He mentioned uh, theories of learning, which I thought was interesting in terms of before you go do a solver, for example, or look for information, you write down or articulate what you already think. And this is really big for getting yourself to learn, retain information and to remember the answers. I think I remember a study about this where basically they talked about um, basically some, some kids were doing a test and they would basically be, some of the kids were told the answers beforehand and some of them would write their answers down and then they would have to say what they, they said and what the answers were and the teacher would tell them the answers after they'd already put forward their answer and the kids who were, had already made an argument for what their answer were, were uh, learned the information from when they were right and wrong much more accurately. So it's one of those things where if we're invested in it, we put some time into thinking, then either one, we get validated, it's correct, or two, we get shown there's error in our thinking, which indicates an error to improve. And we remember that information better, which I think is really good. And then there's two things that I think for myself to follow up on. Uh, one was building mathematical proofs and how to uh, 
apply that. So he's going to if if then if this then that kind of statements. And now we can use that to uh, uh, stress test your thinking as well as build strategies. We did some stuff on cognitive biases as well and talking about projection bias and how uh, we often project our knowledge on other people and also we project how we act and think as well. So I think a lot of avenues for myself and other people to uh, go deeper into in terms of exploring these kind of topics in more depth. But yeah, I think we left a lot of good knowledge there for the listener to get stuck into. How about yourself, Rene? What were some of the main takeaways for you? Yeah, I wanted to actually add on that one point where we talked about A and C game and how you sometimes feel like you're in a C game. I think it's also very important to recognize variance, if it's really your C game that you're doing, or if it's just variance that you're just being handed annoying spots and you ended up losing the pot. For example, in my experience, sometimes I can freak out a bit when I've been playing for an hour, one of hour, and things just, they're not going my way. Let's say I did actually make the right decisions, but all the right decisions ended up folding, giving up, AKA a lot of decisions that not made me win the pot. So I'm just losing, 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 losing. But I'm actually losing less if I would, than if I would be making mistakes. So then I might, on, on rightfully, if that's a word, uh, think that I'm in my C game, but I'm actually paying very well. It's just not that the pots are going my way. So I think it's also important. And then sometimes what I can do, which is actually real C game, is then I'm just going to force... Like, hey, I'm fe- I feel like I'm getting run over. I need I need to do something. I need to I need to make a move that shows that I'm in control or something. So I think maybe this is just me. But when you mentioned that, this is something that popped up. So I wanted to quickly share it. Some interesting points that I also wrote down. Frequency plays in solvers are just suggestions. And they can be used as inspirations. What might also be a good way to play this hand. Or a good alternative sizing to take. Or a good alternative line to take. Which is also hand in hand with what you with what you mentioned, how to look for a solver, play with the variables, the if this, then then, then that. That's also definitely something that I wrote out, which is very in line with our philosophy. That's also why we have the mechanics of poker, right? We focus behind the mechanics, behind strategies, what happens if certain variables change, while well, that leads to different outputs. So I always recommend, you know, the what you see in the solver is just a toy game, it's very static. In real life, it's not as static as that. Things change. And we have to learn what impact the variables have on our strategy so we can adjust accordingly to, to what we actually see going on at the tables. Uh, another thing that I like, drag your opponent into a dark forest where only you know the exit. And basically, you have to put yourself or put your opponent in certain lines. Especially, I think this works well when you are the initial raiser where you have a way better idea of how the ranges actually look like. I think he mentioned Stefan. Well, if Stefan plays three button opening sizings and you can only estimate what hands are in which range, then he knows very well your range because you're just going to defend probably more when he opens less and bigger when uh, and fold more when he opens bigger. He knows his range, but you don't know his. And he probably has also thought about, well, my range, for example, might miss this board but you don't know that. So you actually might perceive my range to hit this board, but actually my range misses the board. So you're actually overfolding in a spot where you might actually shoot actually overcalling because my range doesn't really hit this board. So there's very there's a lot of deep things you can go into here because like in a real solver, there's no such thing as a perceived range because the solver knows both ranges. But in practice, we only play with perceived ranges. So you can definitely use that to your advantage. Um and I also wrote down a thing that's not a thing can become a thing. And I have to now think about why I wrote that. Oh, I remember he, he mentioned like, oh, let's say, for example, there's a spot where there's no raises. I think he mentioned the three of a pot, you face a C-bet. If there's no raise for the imposition player, 
Well, what if you raised? How should Willem respond? And if you think Willem will screw up on the response, then raising suddenly becomes a thing. So it's thinking one step ahead. Like if I do this thing, that's not a thing. Does he respond in a way that makes it a thing? That's kind of uh, to go full circle. If people still following what I'm saying after a three-hour conversation. All right. Wrapping this, uh, wrapping this pod up, I want to thank Owen for coming on, sharing his wisdom. I want to thank Adam, as always, for co-hosting the podcast with me. Also, we would like to know what your main takeaways are. Leave your comments down below. Like this video. We will pick one of the main takeaways. that will get a free wizard, GTO Wizard subscription. Thank you for GTO Wizard sponsoring this pod. And that's about it. See you guys in the next episode.